The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Cumber Chronicles. I am your host, Rydercat, and you can find me at Rydercat on Twitter. You can find me at News Knows Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. And that uh, sound effect that you heard comes from none other than a man in Brooklyn, one other, no other than one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? (laughs) And folks, we are here to bring you comics uh not individually or not at all because we ain't got that kind of money but you know what we're we are here bringing you what uh what the week has to offer including um what we'll start off with first after i finish the intro uh talk about loki episode one that dropped yesterday as of this recording um but, like I said, uh, to finish up the introductions, though, uh, you can find this here podcast on the Coast of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us on this po- your podcast for place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coast of the Podcast Network SoundCloud page. Uh, and of course, you can find us uh, recording live if you're not already here um, on Thursday nights, nine thirty ish p.m. on either the Click Nation uh, uh, YouTube channel. That's youtubecom Nation. That's T H E K L I Q N A T I O N, all one word, or uh, Twitch.tv slash Comic Book Chronicles, all one word. <laughs> Do stop by sometimes, because, you know, sometimes, you know, you might get your um, questions answered live on the air. Uh, Or the like. So without further ado, we are going to spend, let's say, oh, I don't know, the next like 20 minutes talking, uh, recapping uh, Loki episode one, which dropped on uh, Disney Plus, like I said. Uh, If um, it goes without saying, spoiler alert. Which, you know, if you're watching the audio version, you kind of heard it at the beginning of of the show. But, hey, we're just reiterating this. It's, it's pretty much a blanket spoilers um, going into these episodes. 
for right because we're talking about spoilers for pretty much the entire MCU and so much of the Marvel comic book universe. So um, it's uh, well, there, there's a lot to talk about, right. um, and that so this comic book stuff. In, we in were general. fortunate enough to have the first episode of the Loki uh, series debut on Wednesdays now, and uh, we were able to watch it uh, prior to this show. And um, for anyone who uh, is unfamiliar at this point, why are you still listening? But like we said, spoiler alert. So uh, the, uh, the bottom line here is we catch up right where we left off with Loki, the character, as uh, at the beginning of the episode restates as Loki makes a getaway um after the events of the first Avengers movie using the Tesseract, which, which comes loose uh, during the bungling of uh, that portion of the time heist in Avengers Endgame. Right. The funny and, thing I said, the, the funny thing I said, I'm about to say, the funny thing I said about that real quick before 87 is, um, goes any further or goes further than this. Having watched that scene one and having, well, I hadn't watched, uh, rewatched um, uh, Endgame. But having watched uh, the the um, the Marvel Studios Legend before going into this uh, and watching okay. that, huh? Okay, I haven't watched that, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it I mean it just retreads up uh, Loki's journey, which is pretty much the whole you know uh, you know the, the the spots you know about and all. But the only thing I would say about that is it's kind of funny how Endgame kind of does the same trick twice in a way. Because, um, the, because of, well, one, they take care of that in older Thanos, but then they end up going back in time to fight him again. And in doing that, they also, um, let loose a younger version. They fight, so they fight a younger version of Thanos, but then they also let loose a, um, or let, let loose a younger version of Loki. Neither one of us pr- only knows you know, stuff up to a certain point, like even when the fight through Thanos, like he doesn't know who Scarlet Witch is in that kind of situation. And, and of course, Loki doesn't know everything that happens to him outside. I mean, after, uh, or at least this version of Loki doesn't know what happens to him going into this, um, uh, then him being captured. So, which we will touch on that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, you can go ahead and Okay, continue what you're doing. Oh my goodness! Sorry, folks. I'm a little distracted. I'm watching uh, playoff basketball right now. But uh, to get back to the recap of, uh, or at least the first part of the recap of the first episode of the Loki uh, series, as we as we said earlier, we catch up right where Loki is transporting away using the Tesseract, and where does he go? The Gobi Desert in Mongolia, and runs into some Mongolians. Which I is- feel like. I feel like there is a South Park episode here. You know, if anyone remembers the South Park episode with the Mongolians and the Chinese restaurant. But, um, goddamn Mongolians. But, uh, <laughs> Roddy Cat nods because he remembers that too. No, so, I, I'm nodding because I don't like South Park and I've never watched it. So I don't. <laughs> 
Well, in any event, so, uh, but getting back to where uh, Loki uh, finds himself, once he uses the Tesseract to escape, uh, once he uh, confronts some Mongolians uh, with, you know, questions of, you know, who are you, where am I, and and so on and so forth, he is uh, uh, visited by members of the TVA, otherwise known as the Time Variance Authority. And, you know, they basically look like um, riot cops, but, but without guns. They have what look like really uh, glorified-looking um, uh, cow, cattle prods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, yeah, the cattle prods. Right. If you play, if you've been around for any length of time and you've played the Killzone z- series um, on a video game, they kind of look like the Hellgast. Okay, so uh, they actually uh, confront Loki, one of the uh, one one of the uh, the TVA uh, Minutemen, I believe they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, she. <laughs> She does uh, a nice little move on Loki, who is not expecting it, and basically uh, knocks him upside the head and slows him down so that he is constantly feeling the pain over the course of, you know, like one-sixth real time right. or something along those lines. Right. It's and, uh, um, her name is uh, Hunter B, which we don't get right off the bat, So, it's, which is a thing in here because we don't get names of a certain couple of a couple of people that show up in here, but we get them later. Oh, actually took a little bit. We do get her name. It's Hunter B 15. Uh, what I was going to say is we get some and we definitely get them in the credits. Right. So that's where we, we see a lot of the names. Unfortunately, we right. don't get to hear their names, uh, uh, announced or, or, or said out loud during the, the, the course of the show. But anyway, uh, Loki gets taken into custody. That's the bottom line there. And he, and they transport themselves to the TVA, the Time Variance Authority headquarters. And Loki, uh, in a in a series of really funny bits, you know, as he's taken into custody, uh, has to go through processing. And processing is just a series of gags uh, where, where where Loki's basically uh, undressed, uh, embarrassed made to admit to everything he's ever said twice and it's a pretty great sequence right and actually and uh, i saw a, an easter egg video talking about like it's pretty much a similar sequence to what thor went through in ragnarok yes that's an excellent point excellent point excellent point so uh you know at that point what you know once he's taken into custody uh he <laughs> he gets on a line which is hysterical because he's asked to take a number and it's another running bit because there is some snooty kid in there who claims his father is on the board of Goldman Sachs. I think he actually is on the board of Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. and is and, and is uh and, and and is acting every bit the entitled little snot nosed brat that he you know that, that he probably is and what probably got him caught in as uh what we find to be uh, named variants, mm-hmm. which is weird as a comic book collector. Yes, right. Hearing all these folks being called, all, all these people who are in violation of the Time Variance Authority being called variants, really, you know, like not triggered me, but definitely made my brain go in m- many different directions, right. other than these people who violate. Uh, uh, what we find out is the sacred timeline, and we get a, a cool little video. As um, Loki is uh, going into um, 
you know, once he once he takes his number, once this other guy doesn't take his number, there is a video uh, similar to those videos that you see in the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles. If you've gone down there uh, anytime fairly, relatively recently within the last, let's say, five to ten years. And, you know, you'll see things like, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 reminders and whatnot on those types of things. In this case, what we get is a recap. And uh, the recap is what the TVA is, how it came to be, what caused a sacred timeline to occur and previous uh, time uh, timeline or multiversal battles. And uh, I guess... Uh, I'll hand it off to you to to to, to follow up on this, but I wanted to uh, touch upon how they kind of use timeline and multiversal, the multiversal identity, or at least one other part of the multiverse, kind of interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're creating another timeline is essentially creating a branch into the multiverse. Right. So that's just something you have to uh, bear in mind as you are watching. Uh, take it from there. Uh, the only thing I was gonna say is one that it's it's not that hard. Like I get what you're saying about the TV, the the, the variant thing, but also it makes total sense in comic and uh, when dealing with um, you know comic book history and and the variant covers and variant you know uh, that that we've have because it totally makes sense. Plus the, the place is called Time Variant of uh, right. Authority, so you know it all makes sense there. Also, it is worth noting that um, so yes. Uh, TVA is not a new thing. TVA has been around in the comic book in the comics since eighty mid eighties or something like that. And earlier, like 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 earlier eighties, I think like eighty three. I think it was in, introduced in the pages of uh, Walt Simonson's The Mighty Thor. I thought it was eighty six when I looked it up, but okay. Um, I could be mistaken. Yeah. I uh, my understanding was that it was earlier, but not that much earlier. Still counts as mid eighties, like eighty three. Mm, I guess. Um, but that being said, um, uh, yeah, so, so we get treated to the, that whole online thing and, and which is the setup for, you know, them being able to, to, to give us a rundown on, on what the TVA is about and, and what Agent 70 said. And shout out to Tara Strong, by the way, who, who is the voice of Miss Minutes, uh, you know, Tara Strong, who has pretty much voiced your child, your childhood or a yeah. bunch of people's childhoods. So and and she was normally she's recognizable but she was uh well she, she Oh my apologies it is 86. Yeah. Sorry. Um but uh so that was what it was and then before and um actually I should have looked up um I should have looked up who that kid was cuz I'm kind of wondering if that was anybody of note but it's probably doesn't really matter cuz what happened to him uh during the course of that. But regardless we can just move on to the rest of the uh, description. Because uh, I think anything I have to say about uh, about that will come after the fact. Um, so yeah, like the, like uh, Agent Seventy said, uh, uh, we find out what the TVA is about in this whole thing, and uh, that whole bit about Loki trying to find his ticket because you know he was all all in, in, incensed about getting in the first place after the, what happened to the the other dude was. Was pretty funny. There's some some neat uh, comedic bits in here, but um, it says then we um, we cut to France in 1549, which we meet another right. character, uh, Mo- Mobius M. Mobius. I'm pretty sure that M stands for Mobius. Um, Owen Wilson and other TVA um, officers who are investigating a, a, a pretty much a dead unit of TVA uh, of officers. 
in here. Um, so we come to find out there there's a uh, time hopping serial killer on the loose, and then there's this young girl who comes into the church where they're where they're um, where they're investigating, and you know instead of uh, the TV uh, uh, Minutemen blasting them. Or whatever they were going to do to them, uh, Moby's like, "Hold on, let me talk to her." So he talks to her uh, and comes to find out that it's the devil. Which I'm pretty sure somebody's going to watch that scene and was like, oh, "Mephisto." Probably not. <laughs> I can guarantee yeah, you, it's already been debunked by the director. But right. yeah, and with, to which we kind of yeah, exactly. So I was like, like I know first place people are gonna be like Mephisto, and I'm not gonna lie, I did too at first. I'm like, wait, no, this, that, there's no way in the world I, they're, they're gonna do that here. So, well, there is a way, but it isn't also um, whatever. So, uh, let's see. Look at Mobius interrogates a gun, gets some gun from her that apparently the, this quote unquote devil uh, gives her, and uh, then he is uh, Mobius is interrupted by being told that Loki. Is been, has been apprehended. We also get something in this uh, about um, the red line of the timeline. So basically, the TVA kind of stops branches from uh, uh, branches of uh, the timeline to get cut off. And as going is um, going into the Easter egg video, I saw again that reminded me that uh, Captain America kind of said the thing uh, at the end of Endgame about cutting off all the branches. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much what the TVA does here. So we cut back to the TVA and Loki is facing trial in the front of, we don't get whose name we don't get right off the bat. And I'm kind of upset right. about this. That's, but what, that's the, uh, that's the reference that I was thinking of. Right. That's the name that I was thinking of that. Right. We don't find this out until the credits. Exactly. But we kind of find out during, during the credits one uh, Google Mabatha, who's also awesome in pretty much everything she, she's in who plays Ravana Renslayer. Now, I, I totally forgot about this at first, um, but the name Ravana should be um, uh, should ring a bell to anyone who has been around comics for a long, long, and um, as an associate, let's say, of one Kang the Conqueror. And we already know that Kang's going to be in, in uh, Ant-Man Quantum Mania. So there is the speculation that maybe we might see something between them, these two characters. We don't know. Right. Uh, eventual. And eventual. I think this is just a precursor to that. Exactly. In fact, um, actually, what I was going to go back and say in the, in the uh, weight line thing, there was like stuff on the wall that kind of looked like Kang's face. Or either in the courtroom or something that kind of looked like King's face, but it's King's face. But that might be me thinking that, and not necessarily it being the case. Regardless, um, so yeah, Loki st- is uh, in front of this um, judge, I guess, which Ravana is at, at this point, um, and uh, pretty much is keeping up his same demeanor. Because you have to remember, this is a younger Loki. This is Avengers era Loki, like the Avengers the movie era Loki. So he's still kind of a lot more brash and hasn't really, um, I guess hasn't really gone through the stuff that, uh, that he's gone through in later films. So his humility is not necessarily what it ends up being. So he, uh, he pretty much blames, uh, his getaway on the Avengers and Ravana's like, nah, that was meant to happen. Um, uh, Loki tries to use his powers to get up, get out of there, and that doesn't happen because I, I'm assuming because of that collar he has on. 
Um, yep. And 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 everybody laughing at him. And I think somebody equated that to what happened in um, in one of the other games, uh, other other movies with the Hulk. But um, so he's given a sentence of guilty, and uh, he's sentenced to be reset, which I guess is to mean that he's put back in, in the timeline and um, to um, well. I don't know. See, they never really say what reset they is. They didn't really say. Yeah. What we're, what we're meant to presume is that he is, you know, he is, uh, I guess he's just placed back to the point where he uh, breaks the time law and, uh, you know, and is made to not, you know, to, to you know, probably just pay, basically wiped. reset to that point in time. Right. Probably so. has his mind wiped and they use whatever that canister was that we saw earlier in the episode. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What I was going to say because that's what they say. You know, you you, you picked up exactly all upon what I was going to say, which is they were going to. Uh, you know, they basically say they they call it a reset when they talk about um, when they talk about. Um... Oh come on! Focus, focus. <laughs> that's crap. Oh, we lost this game. That's crap. That's terrible. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, you 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 back with us? Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Talking about those uh, reset, those little reset bombs, mm-hmm. which come to play, that which come into play later, because um, what we find out uh, at this point is Mobius steps in and says uh, he he has, um, you know. Uh, he he has something he can put Loki to use, and this is a uh, a trope that we've seen, you know, when it comes to um, you know evil doers or not so evil doers, um, where you know it's not necessarily uh, you know they're not necessarily um, you know being put away, but they're being tasked with um, you know kind of using a killer to catch a killer, right, as it and- were. Right in this specific case, this is kind of going off of a a, um, a a actual comic book run because, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember if it was Agent of Asgard, might not it well, if Agents of Asgard that where it came into play or one of the other recent uh, Loki runs where Loki actually does, uh, not necessarily goes back and fixes the time frame, but he's definitely being it probably was Agent of Asgard. He's used for a similar purpose. Uh, right. that has actually that had nothing to do with time but it definitely has to but definitely uh, similar notes to be made out of it so they are definitely going to be using uh, something out of uh, um, a, a Loki run a recent Loki run which were actually good because Agent of Asgard was Agent of Asgard was actually pretty good anyway um so yeah so Loki, I mean, so Mobius comes in, he interrupts the proceeding and basically, and, um, and basically gets, uh, Loki, uh, saved from being reset, uh, after talking to Ravana, uh, who says this is a very bad idea. And she, even though she knew she, what he was trying to do, which makes me think that this is something that may have happened before and may not have worked or we don't know. Uh, maybe we'll find that out. But uh, as Loki and Mobius are talking, talk, 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 um, along the, uh, the way he shows the outside of the TVA, which is a futuristic-looking uh, 
setup. Really nice looking futuristic setup that we don't get to go into much of. We definitely get some um, shots of. Which, this part was kind of funny to me because it's like, well, Loki comes from Asgard, which to other people would seem like real futuristic and, and not real and an illusion into where he's thinking like this is this is all an illusion uh and not real but um but anyway loki is taken to mobius's office where he continues to question the questions everything about the tva and this is where also where, he, where he's pretty much saying that the, this is all an illusion um and i'm thinking we'll probably get into that but uh mobius reveals that he's um uh, his job is to pursue uh, dangerous variants. Apparently, Loki's not one. Um, and then starts to question... Screw Milwaukee! I don't care if you're listening or watching from Milwaukee. Screw you. Okay, let's let's focus here a little bit. about. Um, so he questions Loki and, and where he digs into... He pretty much goes into Loki's plans to take over the world and trying to get into... Almost like a therapy session, weirdly enough. Um, and Loki is resistant the whole way. Um, um, cause he pretty much goes into the same spiel that he does during adventure. And, um, and actually this is pretty much the time to go into the fact that we forgot to tell the, um, the, uh, the name of the episode, which is called glorious purpose. Uh, and glorious purpose has uh, a, a couple of meanings because absolutely, obviously, if you remember Avengers, that is pretty much what what uh, Loki says. You know, when he's talking to humans um, during that time, and he and of being that it's supposed to be Loki of that time, he still believes that that is his purpose up until this uh, episode kind of breaks him out of that notion. Um, so, long story short. Um, uh, Morbius pretty, pretty much plays um, as he as he kind of says uh, the greatest hits of Loki uh, in all of his defeats. Um, well, in some of his defeats, actually, um, pretty much uh, the end of Avengers and um, Thor: The Dark World. When and that this part kind of hurt, kind of bothered me, especially and later on when Frigga gets killed. Um, uh, so there is that, and um, you know, uh, um, then we go into. Apparently, we get taken back to the to the sixties, and uh, we got a short haired Loki Loki with a on a plane, um, and apparently, I didn't get this at first. He was going by DB Cooper. Mm-hmm. Which, if you know your history, you know that this is is a big unsolved uh, uh, hijacking. Uh, uh, that happens, and I was like, okay, that was a nice touch because we saw that part in the trailers, but we weren't sure what was going on. I was thinking it was like, well, I was thinking it was a scene kind of off from um, Civil War, but apparently it's it not. I was kind of bummed by that it wasn't, but I'm, but it was kind of neat that it was what it was. Um, because that was and that's another thing that Loki gets shown before Loki's pretty much headed up to here, and. You know, he, of course, Loki's all about, like, no, time doesn't dictate, you know, or you, there's no beings dictating, you know, who or what and how time is. The, his choices are his own. And, and, and Mobius is like, no, this is time is supposed to be, things are supposed to happen because they're supposed to happen. And that's all that's supposed to be. And of course, like that, uh, Loki's resistant to all of this, leading to him 
at some point to um to escape when um when Hunter B15 comes into the room played by Wunbi Masako who's very awesome uh, also and I did not know I needed to see her in that get up so thumbs up to that um but while they're talking Loki escapes and also takes this little um little device with him that's been con- that's controlling his collar uh, and uses that to escape. So while they're trying to to hunt them down, he's kind of exploring around, and uh, Loki right. ends up going. So, so, as a quick, just as a quick note, Loki's able to disengage that kind of control collar that he's got on as a result of uh, basically pilfering the, the the controls from Mobius, and uh, you know he he slaps the the collar on B fifteen. Well, that's later though. Secure. Well, that's later and though. Secure. No, yeah. it's this is this is right uh, this is right as they as they're getting away though. Mm. Did you just say that he that he that he uh, makes an, makes his escape? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's how he makes his escape. He slaps the collar on. Um, well, no, because he escapes while they're talking. Because remember, because uh, he he was talking to Mobius and he took the thing off the desk. You well, off the yeah, he took the thing off the desk. B fifteen came in. And then that's when he escaped, and that's when they went to go look for him. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, that's you know that's a pretty compressed you know you know that that's a pretty compressed sequence because uh, ultimately that's just the next step in his escape. Right, but regardless, he ends up going to uh, he ends up running around. He ends up in a scene that people are still tripping about, uh, where he runs into one uh, desk one desk worker named Casey, who uh, oh yes. Uh, who's a uh, shout out to uh, Eugene Cordero? You've seen him. If you, if you, even if you don't know his name, you have seen this dude uh, in Pink recent boy. years. Yes, exactly. He's uh, for for a lot of people know him as Pillboy on, on the Good Place. I know him from the D, from this one D and D sketch from uh, um, uh, Key and Peele, and like like uh, Agent Seventy Two said mentioned reminded me earlier um, uh, Skull Island, where he was right. Uh, Kong Skull Island, right. Yeah, Kong Skull Island, where he was one of the crew. Also with Tom Hiddleston, so there you go. There's, there's, that synergy is still there. Um, um, who we saw earlier, by the way, we met this character earlier because when um, as uh, Loki was getting processed, and Loki still, Loki still had the uh, Cosmic Cube, aka the Tesseract, which was given to him. And Casey did not know what it was because these people are, you know, these are quote unquote higher beings, but we don't find this out. But cut back to this scene to where Loki ends up going back to, uh, well, ends up finding Casey again, finding his desk, getting the Cosmic Cube back, and comes to find out that uh, Casey has a bunch of um, Infinity Gems, uh, Infinity Stones in his desk, who, which he also doesn't know, but there's also a bunch of other items of, of note, uh, well, of some note. And people trip the hell out about that, but uh, because it's like, wait, but we we'll get into that later. We'll, we'll just finish the recap real quick. So, I thought that was a funny scene, personally, not, not for the well, partially for what the scene was and people's reaction to it later. But like I said, we'll get into that in a little bit. So, uh, Loki gets the the uh, the, uh, the test rat. Apparently, he must have tried to use it, as he says, in a little in a little bit. Uh, but he ends up going back to the room where he where uh, he and Mobius were talking. And this is when uh, B fifteen kind of comes up on him, and, I see. and he slaps uh, slaps the collar on her um, after after getting it off of him, uh, and then has a whole a bunch of fun with him with her 
um, for a minute, which I felt like kind of went a little too long, but it, it is what it was. Um, and then finally getting rid of her um, to elsewhere. And Mobius comes back in. Um, um, oh, yeah, and there's all, he's also talking about more, uh, Glorious Purpose here, but he comes back in and um, Mobius comes back in and there's like, yeah, this whole illusion talking. This, uh, the, the, and then Mobius tells him that, hey, we need your help. Uh, basically, we need your help. And there's another variant that's running around. That's you, another version of Loki himself, which some people are speculation that is a certain one. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, if it is that one particular one that I'm thinking about. Uh, and then from there, we get cut to, to another scene from the past from... Um, Oklahoma in 1858 and another group of uh, uh, TVA Minutemen find a weapon stuck, stuck in the ground and they're just thinking uh, oh it's just a variant just trying to get you know coming back to get rich off of something I don't know about you Agent 70 but I could have I seen that thing sticking out of the ground kind of reminded me of Dr. Doom's uh, time machine it, with minus the platform but that's just me um I don't. I was about to say. I, uh, I I only ever think of the time machine as the platform. That's right. the problem. Yeah. So it was tough to. You know, it, it was definitely some futuristic tech. And I, I think what I bumped on was that they said it was thirty first century. Right. And uh, that number uh, sends you far into the future, far into Kang future. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what I thought of when they said thirty first century. And thank you for bringing that up. Exactly because we uh, yeah because. Again, we already got shades of that with Ravana and probably some other imagery that we probably missed out on. But yeah, so there is that. Uh, but what ends up happening is that the end of the Minutemen uh, get uh, burned up after smelling oil and thinking nothing of and trying to search around. They come across this figure, hooded figure who knocks over uh, a lantern uh, and the oil around them burns and burns them all up. And then yeah, basically standing in a field of flammable material. So. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't made obvious, which was great. And, yeah. you know, it just you just sort of had to process that as it was uh, happening. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, these Minutemen are not invincible. They are not invulnerable. Right. They're just beings. We can't say people yet, but they're just beings doing a job. And, uh, you know, they obviously have some sophisticated uh, time equipment um, at their disposal, but uh, they are still susceptible to uh, getting killed, as we've seen once in France and now here in Oklahoma in the past. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it just ends, and the, it ends up with this hooded figure grabbing the uh, the canister that we have seen a couple of times in this episode, and uh, I believe walking away. Uh, we still don't get to see who this figure is, but we can pretty much just safely say that it is the variant that Mobius was talking about. So. And that's pretty much uh, episode one. I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, it was a lot of expo- exposition, which honestly, it's probably necessary. I think so. Yeah. Um, so I'm not say- saying that as a as, as a negative, because not everything needs to be like. Hey, let me start off with action, action, action. Blah 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 blah. We've said that many times before. So th- it was some very necessary exposition kind of needed to go on, and and was now granted there was some stuff we didn't get, but. Obviously, we we will probably be getting going forward um, uh, when these episodes drop. So, what do you I don't know? What do you What are your thoughts? I mean, ultimately, I thought that um, this this series would not start with any sort of you know wham bam thank you ma'am action mm-hmm. because of the nature of the protagonist or the antagonist or just the subject of the show right. being Loki. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, you know, I, I and, and especially knowing going in that it was going to deal with uh, a somewhat high concept uh, from Marvel, uh, that being the Time Variance Authority, there would have to be lots of exposition or explanation or, you know, the, a mixture of the two during the during the course of the show. So, I, you know, I wasn't surprised at all. I was happy to see um, the pace that they took. I thought that the the info the the little infomercial that Tara Strong narrated as Miss Minutes mm-hmm. was actually more confusing to me because it definitely set my expectations on their head you know not okay. completely understanding where they were going with you know what they might be drawing upon right. from uh the marvel comics right. for that so that definitely puts me back on the same fo- or similar footing with uh people who were just fans of the movies because we 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 essentially know roughly the same thing about this version of the time variance authority going into the second episode of loki now mm-hmm. right yeah, and, and there was a little bit of that because they definitely take a couple of liberties in in places with the t- uh, with the TVA. Um, uh, as far as I remember, no, Ravana was never a part of the TVA. Maybe she was. I she might have been. I don't know. Um, but I don't. I don't think in my research that she was. Uh, but also, there was a, a couple of things. I think they're the, even the device they used to to call her Loki was. Um, a being and not a thing, so you can you kind of get like little bits of that going into this. And yeah, there is definitely some other things like okay, yeah, only knowing like little bits and pieces of the TVA and, and even as much reading of comics as we have, you know, like like I had to pretty much do some research to uh, to to be like, oh yeah, so She Hulk has had a run in with the TVA and Mobius is a character that came up in the nine, you know. After, well after the TBA was was already established in the comics. Well, I used to take it wasn't well after. It was like only a few years after. Um, and things like that. Which is weird because if you look at the, the um, if you look at the comic book version of Mobius, they did some pr- almost pretty much spot on casting. Um, well, the comic book version of Mobius is supposed to be Mark Grunwald. From, right, exactly. Uh, the, editor, the former editor and writer from uh, Marvel. Right, but the way they got Owen Wilson in here, there's like okay, they kind of look got him looking almost pretty much like him. You know, obviously because well, um, hair and whatever, and not no glasses or, or you know things like that aside. But there's like yeah, it's almost that it was almost pretty good uh, impressive casting on that one, or making of it at the very least, if anything. So, um. I mean, they definitely took their they they took care with how they how they executed the story, mm-hmm. and it's ob it's it's it, it's evident. It definitely shows during the course of the show that they definitely took a lot of care with everything that they did. So, um, just to, as a quick wrap up, you know the uh, you know there was an aesthetic to the 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 show and the uh, the TVA offices that you know evokes kind of like an older office. Uh, set up and older office uh, technology, um, you know, definitely retro compared to what we're used to seeing. Yes. And uh, some, you know, I read some places that, you know, I read in, in some pieces that uh, it might have been Whovian, uh in, you know, Dr. Whovian. Yes. In its nature and in its, um, and in its, uh, uh, 
just the just just the coloration and exactly. just the, the overall feel and the sense right. of it. So uh, I can't speak to that, but it, but from Roddy Cat's um, uh, agreement. Or, you know, that seems like that is definitely the case. Yeah, that is definitely a thing that you could pick up. Even with the sound, like if you, if you, uh, like at the TVA sections, you can definitely kind of catch it also in the sounds. Like there are kind of like synthy, uh, sounds that you would hear in like the Doctor Who theme. Uh, if, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that is definitely the thing that I picked up. Um, I just picked up on. So in closing, there's a couple of couple of things I don't know if you picked up on. Uh, but did you pick up the the X body spray reference? Yes, I did not because I didn't I didn't catch up on that until later. Um, going yeah. back to in game, I thought no, no, but it was it was. Um, they didn't say. Wait, did they say X body spray or did they said cologne? I don't know, but uh, they, the, but there was definitely a reference to X body spray. Well, they said some. Well, well, well. What Loki says is because one of the things that that um, definitely that I definitely bumped on mm-hmm. first, and then I had to kind of watch it the second time to really get the full feel of it. Loki says at his hearing in front of Ravana um, that it wasn't his fault because uh, the Avengers were on their time heist, and if it wasn't for them, it was all their fault. It wasn't for them; he wouldn't have uh, broken any of the any of the time laws. Right. And um, uh, he says, uh, you know, I could smell the cologne of two Tony Starks uh, 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 right. Uh, right away, and that was the hint. Right. That he figured out what was going on because how would he know what the Avengers were doing uh, with the time heist? So he figured out that they had done something with time, but you know it was his uh, it, it was his idea that they were looking to intercept Loki as opposed to doing something on a much different scale with regards to the Infinity Stones and Thanos. Right. So and it must have been. I think it was from the Easter egg video that I that I I kind of caught the, the uh, that because it. In the Easter egg video that I saw, um, it 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 showed a scene from Endgame and Ant Man noting that Tony Stark was wearing Axe body spray because he asked right. about it, and that's where that's where I get that from. But yeah, so yeah. I didn't notice the, the cologne thing when I thought. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I want to say he said, I, you know, if you smell the cologne from two, you know, you could smell the cologne off of two Tony Starks. Sure, you could tell. You know, you could tell that there's more than one. Um, also, there was a um, there was a scroll in a tracksuit, which I'm not gonna lie, partially had me thinking about the Harkai ser- series because of the tracksuit mafia. But I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, and uh, there's also some, some people thinking, it's like, well, it's probably a scroll, one of the scrolls from from Captain Marvel. Is it a theory? I don't know. Uh, but outside of that, I enjoyed. Uh, like I said, there's a couple of different references. The one that that kind of bumped up on me though was the um, Loki. Well, so Loki killing Coulson was brought up, right? But uh, what happened to Coulson after that was not because I was sitting there thinking it was like, "Hi, you, you, you don't know actually what happens after that." But I also know that Agents of Shield is not necessarily canon anymore um i think it's canon up to a point right but and then the, but well, the like fa- there's a point in, in the in the in, in, that's my understanding at least i think i want to believe that is also true but i'm not entirely sure because i have because i think i'm at the, when i left off of agency i'm at the point to where they were it, that was about to to change 
uh, or the season before it was about the same, or the end of the season it was about the same. So, but regardless, the fact that uh, Colson wasn't, um, I found that slightly amusing. That it was like, well, you mentioned Chuck Colson, but not what happens to him after that. So I don't, and I kind of very much doubt that's going to come back up. But, um, but yeah, and so there are some other things that this show does this um, that this does uh, th- that this comes up. But you know. To, uh, some little nice little Easter eggs and whatnot. The whole DB Cooper thing was cool. Apparently, Peggy Carter, a variant of Peggy Carter, might have been in there somewhere. Um, yeah, I had to rewind to watch that when after I heard wind of that, I was like, right. oh, maybe. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. I did too, and I'm like, I don't know about that, but sure, I guess so. It could be. It's possible. Um, you know. Oh, the whole we totally forgot about the whole um, robot section, but that's fine. I don't know if that's ever going to come back up when Loki was going through process and the little, and the dude was asking him whether he was a, um, a synthetic life form or a robot or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying like I'm not sure if that's going to come back up, but I'm kind of curious as to whether that will or not. Overall, I enjoyed the episode. I, I, I'm going to assume that uh, Agent Seventy did too. Yeah, it was a good start. Yeah, I thought it was. An, I thought it was a good start to the series. Um, I've read in a lot of places, and I and I find myself in agreement that the comedic uh, chemistry between uh, Owen Wilson and Hiddleston was really good. Yes, they played off each other well. The parts where uh, Wilson was like, "So why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Why did you do this? What what did you think was going to happen when you did this?" I really liked that particular repartee because it just seemed very. It definitely was just well acted. Right. It just uh, it didn't seem out of place. You know, for for this uh, uh, this this entity, this person, this being, to just be grilling uh, uh, Loki, uh, you know, kind of getting him to be accountable, right? Uh, for everything that he's done, right? Yeah, it was like 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 I was saying earlier, it was like a little mini therapy session, or uh, that you you know you kind of wonder at first why that happened, but at the same time, like no, we kind of get it. I see what they're doing here on the outside of it, but also, and you just reminded me. Uh, that we kind of sort of glossed over, um, or I kind of glossed over doing a recap. There was the scene where Loki comes back um, and sees pretty much, and you knew it was going to happen. He sees pretty much everything that he didn't, that he hadn't done yet, including and everything up to his death back on that film strip projector um, hologram thing. And that scene itself was kind of touching because, like I said, he, he kind of paused on the, the, the scene with Frigga and you could tell he was touched. So that was, uh, but then he gets his his death and here's, uh, here's the next snap. And it's like, just actually horrified and, and Hilderson kind of does pretty well, you know, uh, with, with, um, with his reactions to it. Like that mm-hmm. scene was actually genuinely kind of touching to me. Like, yep, I knew he was going to do it, but here, here we go. And bloop. And like so, well done to the to, to Hiddleston on on that part. But yeah, next week, folks. Um, next episode of uh, next Wednesday is the next episode of of Loki. Can't wait. That being said, uh, unless you got something else you wanna you, you wanna mention? No, 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 no. It was uh, you know, it, it was fun. I definitely uh, went through the credits to see if there was uh, any sort of. Um, uh, post credit scene, there was a little audio bit with Tara Strong right. um, at the end, but uh, no no end credit scene yet, folks. Indeed, yeah, which uh, you know, it'll probably be later if it's going to happen. Um, 
from what from from our experience so far, it takes them like, uh, you know, what is this? An eight episode? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. I, I think I think there's a um, I know there's an article about that in the runtime, uh, in the thing. So I'm not sure. Right, but 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 let's say it's a six. Then they wouldn't start showing any post credits until the second or third. Right. Say if it's an eight, they won't start showing the post credits until like the third or the fourth. Right. At so. the very least, halfway halfway in. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, though, we're going to push over to talk about some comic books. Alrighty. And uh, the first comic book that we are going to start off with is Excalibur number twenty one. All right. It's written by Tinny Howard with art by Marcus Toe. Colors by Eric Arseniega and uh, letters by VCs Ariana Mar or Maher. So uh, this is another tie-in issue of the uh, X titles into the Hellfire Gala. This particular issue focuses obviously upon many of the characters on the Excalibur team. As they make their way into the gala, we have the reappearance of one uh, uh, character who we last saw, I want to say, in the pages of X-Factor. Are you on mute? Are you talking about us? Yeah, I was. Um, Are you talking about Shatterstar? talking about one Shatterstar. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're correct. Spoiler alert, folks. Spoiler alert for uh, this week's Excalibur number 21. Shatterstar does make his reappearance um, near Richter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 in, this, in this issue. Right. I'm going to need them to explain his... Um, I, I assume that's going to get explained in some other issue. Because obviously these issues are kind of taking places at different times during the Hellfire Gala. Right, this one is at 9.30 p.m. Right, and I think it, this one might cut in a couple of places, just like the... I think they all pretty much cut at certain certain spots of the issue. Oh, yeah, but. exactly. At least at, this, at least at the beginning of this issue. It's right. at 9.30 p.m., you right. were saying? Yeah, so, and they kind of go through at... Um, so, we when Shadowstar comes up, like, he's in a particular... Not necessarily a particular state, but he kind of comes off a certain way, and also it's covered in blood for some strange reason, so I'm assuming they're going to... Um... No, no, not some strange reason. Wait. You don't remember where he was in X Factor? He was like in Mojo World, and he was. Yeah. Uh, um, oh no! I know. Well, yeah, but so you're saying he, and he came playing like combat? He right. came straight from Mojo World, apparently, because that's where he, where, that's where they left him. Well, see, that was the part that I couldn't get because I know he came back in, in X Factor, but I was thinking there was time between that and this where they could have cleaned he him up. He staying in Mojo World. That's my that's my point. I don't think he ever went back with them to Krakoa. He stayed in Mojo World. Mm. That's why hasn't seen Richter up until this point. I could be mistaken because I haven't kept I, up with X Factor. I think you might be mistaken. Yeah, because he definitely came back to Krakoa uh, and in the last issue of uh, um, X Factor, I believe. You mean just prior to this? Yeah. Okay, so maybe that's where I missed it because uh, from what I recall, he didn't come back with them when they came back from the Mo- from Mojo World. Not not initially, no. But they went exactly. back and got him. Oh, see that that part I haven't seen. Right. So, and that was the last uh, episode. That was the last issue of uh, right. F- X Factor. That makes. I was about to say that makes all the sense in the world, and because right. I didn't read the last issue, so um, I don't know. That's a good question. I th- I thought that he was just kind of transported over from Mojo World, so mm-hmm. I didn't bump on this. Right. 
But well, in any event, yeah, uh, we get that, and we get a little bit of uh, a recap of the latest events from uh, the British Isles from one Pete Wisdom as he relays what's been going on uh, over the course of the gala and over the course of uh, Betsy Braddock's um, kind of issues uh, coming back from being shattered during Ten of Swords. And that was, you know, that, that all, that all sort of took place just prior to um, the Hellfire Gala. That's essentially the, the storyline in Excalibur between uh, Ten of Swords and the Hellfire Gala. Right. And now that uh, Betsy's been restored um, uh, into a body, Pete Wisdom basically catches her up on what's been uh, transpiring with this uh, dru- this uh, this druid guy or, or um, no, this coven guy. Right. This like high priest coven guy becoming the, uh, the new prime minister of Britain. Oh, no, the new ambassador of Britain. Correct. To, uh, to to Krakow or to the UN, and uh, uh, it's amazing because I'm like, wait, how did this guy get into that position? But of, I guess magic, probably. But uh, and and you know, and, the, and that also plays into the fact that that, that ambassador and a couple, few other people who are let's say uh, not too pleased in the state of Krakoa um, are there at the gala also, and Pete, right. Pete Wisdom had came in with them. What I was going to mention, though, is uh, I still bump on the fact that this guy has a French name. Oh, uh, Rousseau? Yeah, Ruben yeah. Rousseau. I'm mm-hmm. like, wait, you're the British ambassador? Fine. Well, I mean, you know. So, <laughs> you, oh, that, that's, you know, <laughs> whatever, man. It, 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 come on. You can come up with a British name for this guy? <laughs> I like how that's the thing you bump up on. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, I mean, do you really think Claremont would have done that when he was writing this? You know, no, probably wouldn't. Have, but hey, you so know, different time. But uh, but you know, but but uh, essentially, the uh, you know this um, this delegation from Britain comes to the uh, the Hellfire Gala to let them know that they are breaking their uh, treaty with uh, a Krakoa and 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 and. Uh, Throwing in with all of the other uh, nations who are moving against Krakoa, or at least working against Krakoa, mm-hmm. and uh, in a sense disavowing uh, Betsy Braddock as uh, Captain Britain at the same time. Exactly. Um, and during the course of this, the, the last couple of things that we get is one, we see that in a nod to the next issue we're about to talk to talk about. One of the members of X Factor is going to be a member of uh, of the new X Men team, right? Um, which I thought was kind of spoilers, but I was like, eh, I guess not, because because obviously because there was a time, you know, there's a a bit of a time skip in the course of the issue, like we said earlier. Uh, but the other thing that happens is Richter, and as far as I could remember, did not do this plan with the consent of anyone else because of hearing about the, um, about the, uh, about Britain, uh, getting out of their deal with Krakoa. Um, Richter takes it upon himself to, uh, to move, basically move the lighthouse off of uh, British soil. Um, so I don't know if anything's going to come of that or, or anything but right. that's pretty much the last thing we see in this issue right 
there's a couple of little moments that are meant to further uh, Excalibur storylines, such as uh, what could be brewing between. Uh, oh, he's not Captain Britain anymore. What is he called? Captain Avalon. Oh yes, um, Captain Avalon and Megan. Yes, uh, um, longtime wife. Uh, Kurt uh, almost spoils it. When I say Kurt, I mean Kurt Wagner. Uh, which almost kind of spoils it for uh, Brian Braddock. Which is and, kind of uh, he funny. His mouth. Exactly, which is kind of funny because before that happened and when uh, Brian and Megan was talking, I'm like, wait, is that is that what's going on? And Kurt pretty much confirmed it when he came in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how he knows, but I guess, you know, I, I guess he could tell some kind of way or sensed it or smelled it. I don't know, whatever the case may be. Because you can kind of tell it was being teased. Uh, oh yeah, because of the art, and because of, and it's a. It, what's funny is that it's one of those um, classic, again, a, a classic trope when when a lady turns down alcohol. Mm-hmm. So you uh, know, it's like a, it's like a Mia during a Fast Five. Right. Well, see, another th- <laughs> well, another thing with that though, it could also be construed as because I know, uh, back in uh, Excalibur, when Megan has been given a drink, she gets like really you know really really sillier so i i at first you could think like well that's the reason why she uh turned it down because you know she you know uh but you know like i said upon going a little further like oh wait that's why she turned it down and yeah like Mm -hmm. agent seven said it kind of ends up being that case right and there's a little bit of uh, a hint in the art in the panel towards the uh, like roughly halfway down the page, mm-hmm. where the artist, where Marcus Toe basically draws Megan in a, uh, a a pose where she's holding her hand over her midsection. So, mm-hmm. uh, but um, in any event, um, the other thing that pops up is uh, something that happens to One Pete Wisdom. Yes, I have and not, as I say the, in my notes, I'm not the biggest Pete Wisdom fan, so I wasn't really too. I'm like, okay, whatever, but also know it's temporary. Well, well, what 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 uh, what what may not be temporary are some of the after effects of the magic that is invoked with what happens with Pete Wisdom, and uh, the um, the the liberation of one sorceress who Excalibur have been basically butting heads with mm-hmm. for the over the course of their uh, their latest volume, this run of twenty one issues, right. Yeah, I think it was one of the original, well, not original, but I know it was like one of the beginning adversaries that they kind of was like, nope, they they, they ran up on her and then they dealt with her and then it, uh, she ended up being a captive of uh, Sinister um, up until right now, well, up until this issue. So, yeah, and it doesn't, I don't know if she's in control of her faculties also, because it seems, because they made it seem like she was kind of zombie-like, um, but I don't know. That could be me thinking that uh, during due to the magic used. So, but we'll see. I guess we'll see going forward. So yeah, we're there's definitely other developments that is going to the uh, go further in uh, Excalibur after this. That's going to come back up. Which I guess uh, leads us to X Men Twenty One. If we're if we're ready for that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. X- we can move on to X Men Twenty One. Mm-hmm. You want to take the credits? Cover. Yeah, I can do that. I'm just pulling up the cover here, and boop. 
All right. Uh, X-Men 21, it's, uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Nick Dragota, uh, Russell Dodderman, Lucas Wernick, uh, and Sarah Pacelli. Uh, colors by Frank Mouth, Math, excuse me, Frank Martin and Matthew Wilson, Sonny Go, and Nolan Woodard. Uh, we also get lettering by VCs Clayton Powell. So yeah, so there's some some um, some artwork going on here. Right, it, it, there's definitely some uh, art chores being shared mm-hmm. in this book because. Uh, Dragota takes the first several pages and and hands it off to um, you know in sequence to uh, Russell Dowderman and Lu- Lucas Wernick and Sarah Pacelli or Pacelli. So, but uh, so we can actually cover we can actually cover this issue in in uh, over the course of the um, the art chores being handed off. Mm-hmm. So in the uh, Nick Dragota uh, portion of the story. Namor is a guest of the uh, Hellfire Gala and is uh, uh, approached by Professor Xavier and Magneto in their Hellfire Gala finery. And basically, they offer to have Namor join the Quiet Council because some changes are coming to the Council as a result of the formation of the X-Men team. And Namor... Uh, basically says, uh, get back to me when you have something more to offer because you guys have an island. I uh, I control seventy percent of the Earth's surface. Right. He pretty much and I the found. Mic. Say again. I think he pretty much dropped the mic on him on that one. Uh, what I also found interesting was his choice of company after speaking to Professor Xavier and Magneto. I'm glad you. He up basically on that. approaches the rest of the the rest of the former Illuminati minus the beast. Mm -hmm. So basically he approaches Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, the black Panther, surprisingly enough, Captain America and Dr. Strange. That is the surprise. Yeah. That, uh, the, but also that's standing so close to him without, you know, going, you know, without them going after each other. Right. But they're at a party, you know, they're at a a fancy party. Right. So they're supposed to be civil. Right, especially with um, Cap's "quote unquote" recent run. Well, actually, the Avengers' recent run-ins with Namor and Captain America's recent run-ins with them in the event, in the Invaders. So there's still a little bit of some some touchiness. That, yeah, exactly. Some some touchiness there in that situation. Even though I think that's been pretty much dealt with at this point, thanks to uh, recent events and um, well, assumably thanks to recent events and uh, Avengers. But we don't, you know. Um, right. Well, that for sure, but it's interesting that they would literally depict members of the Illuminati coming together away from Xavier and Magneto. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to be uh, that's going to be addressed uh, at some point, but you kind of got to wonder. Right. It was interesting. So in the next sequence is uh, the Russell Dowderman sequence, and it is uh, now 10.15 p.m., and it is the election of the new X-Men team. And I thought this was really creative mm-hmm. because what they do, uh, and, and it's described as part of some exposition by, um, I think I want to say that that is Cersei. It's not clear that it's Cersei, but I want to say that it's Cersei because it's not one of the mutants. Yeah, I'm not sure. You're, you're, I think you might be right about that. Because at first I was like, wait, is that Quanon? Like, no, that can't be. Um, but yeah, you might be right. I'm not sure. 
Right, because if it was Quanon, she would have the uh, the telepathic thing on her right. head, uh, you know, uh, on her head. But it's right. clear that it's not. Right. So you know, un- you know, uh, uh, barring some sort of mistake in that regard, uh, you know, and and it seems like this this particular sequence, they are very clear as to who can and cannot listen and why they're able to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one, one being Dr. Strange being able to figure out what's going on because Johnny Storm is like, what's going on? This is kind of scary. And Thor is like, what is this ensorcelment? Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like that is uh, Cersei. It appears to be Cersei at least. Yeah. And um, basically she, she, uh, uh, let's everyone who's reading know what's going on, which is the election of the latest team of X-Men or the, you know, the, the first team of X-Men from Krakoa being conducted, the election being conducted telepathically right. amongst every mutant on Earth putting in their hat, putting their hat into the ring. Right. That's between her and, and, and Dr. Strange, because Dr. Strange is actually the one who actually says that part. And then Cersei kind of comes in and was like, because Johnny Storms is like, this feels wrong to be listening in on what should we or this and other. And this is when that's when Cersei kind of comes in with uh, right. with her or her what she says. And yes, and now we finally get the um, the uh, team who is made up of Rogue, Sunfire, uh, Laura Kenny, Wolverine, Sink and Polaris. And presume and um, uh, 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 Scott and Jean, right? You know, and we got a nice little splash page after uh, after that uh, of the whole team assembled. Um, so I'm slightly curious about um, how this how yeah. this team's going to work out. I'm kind of surprised. This is a definite mix of new and old. Yes, exactly. This is a definite mix of new and old. This is across almost every generation of X characters. They even graduate sync. From uh, uh, what's gonna call it from uh, the new mutant? I'm not Generation X, right? Yeah, um, because I want to say Laura's already been an X Man, yeah. That part, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, and I, I feel like Tim would know if he were here, but um. But, yeah. I want to say that Laura's already been like an active, an active roster member of the X Men, but right. um, I could be wrong because you know she she did. Actually, no wait. I'm trying to remember. I think she might have been running around with the um, all new, all different. She definitely the, was the original five. Yeah, now that I can safely say she was because I do remember a part of that. Mm-hmm. So that may that may count. Maybe. So. Right, but uh, in any event, that is the that is the, the 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 close of that particular arc, and then what we get at uh, eleven thirty five, which is the X's, is a big splash page with some more famous people on the page. Mm-hmm. Did you did you catch them all? I'm not sure. So I see Eminem mm-hmm. on the left. Mm-hmm. I see. I, I'm like, is that Pat Oswalt again I in the front? So. Mm-hmm. As George R. R. Martin above Rogue. Right. Um I wanna say I'm not sure which who who that character is, the uh the black character who's talking to Colossus. I wanna say that's Jamie Foxx, but I'm not sure. Part of me was like, why does that look like Dwayne McDuffie? Um you know, like the, you know how they you know how they always cartoon uh, how how they always um caricatured him mm-hmm. from back in the day? I was like, God, that looks like Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I was a couple of things I was thinking. So the bald guy with the beard's got to be somebody famous. I don't know if that is um, 
Jerry Duggan or somebody else. Yeah, I don't know. And the black guy with the yellow hood, I don't think that's Luke Cage. I'm like, is that Michael that's Strahan Method or is that? That's Method Man because you can see if you look closer at his chest, I think that's a Wu symbol. Oh, that is Method Man because that's mm-hmm. the now that I see the W, mm-hmm. that is Beth. Yep. That is meth. That's cool. I, I'm uh, I'm glad that you pointed that out because I was focused on the face and didn't mm-hmm. see the sweatshirt, uh, the rest of the sweatshirt. That right. is meth. Look at mm-hmm. that. That's cool. But yeah, but I'm thinking, but uh, the thinking that other person might be Jamie Foxx. I am not entirely sure, so do not quote me on that. Um, but I, I, but it kind of seems like it. Um, is he on the list? I, so I do have, there's an article that we'll talk about, um, which I, I don't know if it goes through all of the celebrities that show up, but there's definitely um, a few of them that do, including one that we're, we're about to get to in a minute. All right. So uh, so so next, uh, uh, next in the sequence, um, I think this is Lucas Wernick's uh, section where... Um, uh, there is. I want to say this has got to be a famous person who is trying to get the bartender's attention. Yes, and but I don't know who. Who is that? I do not know. Oh, okay, but it's almost obvious that they that they're trying to base that on somebody real, right? Mm-hmm. And as um, and as uh, as Cyclops is trying to help this guy get uh, bartender Jamie Madrox's attention, the one Kevin that we all know shows up. <laughs> I don't have to say his last name. It's not Kevin <laughs> Smith. Yes. I want to say it's I, Feige. It definitely Feige. Um, which I was like, you know what? Sure. That's that's that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, so I think the other person may I I I still don't know. I was thinking it was like maybe somebody like Post Malone or somebody along those lines. I don't know, but I, but I don't think so cuz you know. Yeah, have but the doesn't tat- he have like tattoos on his exactly. face? Exactly. So and this person doesn't. So I was like I don't think that's that's who that's supposed who that is so but yeah feige shows up and and of course and he's like what's your story and talking to cyclops who um gets the attention of, of um the madrox for this other dude and then goes into uh um scott's narration um which i, I enjoyed this part i was like and you see cuts to um you cut to um other sections of the party where where quentin choirs apparently um grabbing other folks for some strange reason or gra- grabbing other Krakoans for some odd reason and right. ushering them to a place. Um, and I don't know, because at first I was thinking, I was like, wait, why is he pointing at Gene? Why is he whispering to Storm and, and, and pointing at Gene? Like, what, what's going on in between that? But I'm assuming, like, maybe there's going to be another team that's going to form or something. It was weird because he, he approaches what seemed to be members of the council. Mm-hmm. Um... But I uh, I don't know if Storm's on the council. I think she, she is, is, but I I don't think I so. I think she is. So you know he went he go but but then he also goes to to, to approach um uh uh what's his name Jamie uh, Jamie Braddock mm-hmm. right he definitely you know, on the council you know he he picks up right picks up the five or at least portions of the five right you know Iceman and and they're all going through a Cone Gate somewhere. Mm-hmm. And Cyclops is following, so that was weird, right? So we don't know where they're going. Like you would think, it, like it'd be a different story. It's like okay, they they took the team somewhere for for some other reason, but I assume we're gonna find out this at in another book somewhere. Um, 
you know, no stone unturned, right? So then we get mm-hmm. to the next set uh, where the um, the um, uh, eleven forty five and the fireworks, right? And the fireworks, and we've seen a couple of different viewpoints of this firework sequence in other books. And you know this is uh, you know telepathic sharing of the uh, the fireworks, and a little bit of an ominous uh, last little panel. It's not even a cliffhanger page; just the cliffhanger panel, where Emma Frost is, uh, you know, basically uh, doing uh, the the you know directing the telepathic fireworks sequence, and there are two lone figures on um, asteroids out very far away and they're silhouetted by the sun mm-hmm. and uh you know wow. especially at night you know like you wonder if it's um you know uh, uh, uh another planet or if it's the sun I'm not but sure if uh, it's there's the sun because 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 um because emma has it in her hand and I think she, I, I guess it's making like she's throwing it out or something, or maybe she's pointing to it. And I don't know. But yeah, I, I think I was about to say I, I I didn't think it was something that she was holding in her hand per right, se. Yeah, right. But um, it definitely was, you know, a, a little bit of a cliffhanger panel because then after that we get to um, the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I enjoyed that. It, I was like, all right, so we finally get the the introduction to the um, to the team. Uh, and it's worth noting if you if you're not keeping track that part of the team was uh, fan votes. So um, so that is the thing to note. Uh, so I guess we can, um, and I guess we'll see them in action. Because wait, because this is the last issue of of Hickman's. Yes. Yeah, of Hickman's uh, X-Men. Yes. Once. Right. Once this, now that this issue has come and gone, Hickman's run on the X Men title is over. He's going to be picking up with that Inferno title in the future. Right. Uh, but once uh, this is over, Duggan's X Men book is going to pick up after Planet Size X Men. So right. um, later this uh, next week, really, mm-hmm. Planet Size X Men comes out, and I believe Duggan's X Men starts next month. Right. Uh, which pushes us over to um, I guess we can go ahead and finish finish this out by uh, going through Children of the Atom number four, uh, which has nothing, which has tangentially nothing to do with the uh, the Gala per se, not directly anyway. They're trying to, so, well, we'll get into that, but um, right, right. So uh, let me cover the uh, uh, what call it here, mm-hmm. uh, creative mm-hmm. team. Children of the Atom, uh, written by Vita Ayala, art by Paco Medina, uh, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So uh, this story is uh, basically told from the uh, point of view of Marvel Boy, the character of Marvel Boy, and he is uh, basically, um, you know, narrating some of the story. Uh, basically giving us his background. We also get, um, you know, the opening sequence uh, being uh, these kids finding out that um, humans are going to be able to make their way through the uh, Krakoan gates for the first time as a result of the Hellfire Gala. And, they you know, they catch wind of it and they're looking to make their way through um, the, the, the Krakoan gates by hook or by crook. 
Mm-hmm. And when I say by crook, they're actually going, they're actually planning on using um, uh, some sweaty uh, jock clothes, um, some sweaty, you know, some, some, some sweaty uh, uniform jersey patches from uh, the one person that they know is a mutant. That to they try believe, to get- yeah, that they believe is because I don't know if it's known known that he actually is. Um, oh, right. Uh, but and that and that right there is what bothers me about one this issue or in just in general because like yeah we've seen the fact that they 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 were wanting to go to Korea Core and they haven't been able to for for whatever odd reason for well for a reason that we probably know but that they're still not saying. Uh, but the fact that this issue is like. Because after last issue where they had to run in with this with this other side character, uh, went over to his house and they're, you know, them thinking he's a mutant and, you know, just getting all up in his face and, and him thinking was like, well, so you're only like me because I'm a mutant, which kind of stands, feels like stands a reason, especially with the one character of Buddy, who's pretty mm-hmm. much obsessed with trying to get there, which led them to, uh, I don't know, her, uh, I'm going to assume her pronoun is her or, or them, but I, I honestly don't know which what, what it is. Um, that buddy pretty much steals his shirt and be like, hey, yo, no, it's okay, we, but we've been wanting to get a crick hole. Like, just, just like straight up obsessed with this. I'm like, and that part right there kind of bothers me about this. I'm like, no one and none of the friends, well, one of them kind of has apprehensions about it, but no one goes out of their way and saying like, that's not cool, you shouldn't have done that. Or you know, or, or anything like that. It's like, no, but we're trying to get the cocoa, and I'm like, okay. And which brings me to the other thing. Like, we know they want to get there. We know we don't know the connection between why they want to get there so bad. Outside of the fact that they pretty much love mutants. I mean, at, at this point, we can we can assume and whatever happened to them on that ship that we uh, the, from uh, previous. Um, previous issues that still doesn't have any connection to what's that doesn't still have any connections to what's going on but i feel like there's probably a connection there but it's kind of irking me the fact that we we haven't gotten there yet and, I, and i'm not the one that's saying that you know like it should be rushed because obviously they, 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 this whole arc is pretty much establishing what's going on here and i'm not even sure if this is i'm assuming this is going to be an ongoing uh and it's going to go places or it could be 12 issues we don't know but I'm like, hmm, this is it's kind of weird that they're kind of really fixated on that, and it's kind of irksome, with, especially with that one character, to me. But anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, in any event, the, you know, these, uh, the, the, the kids are basically working, uh, you know, trying to work on their plan to, uh, to, to make it to the Hellfire Gala. There's some, you know, obviously some interpersonal stuff. That's sometimes the, uh, the crux of, of, of several of these stories, especially as we introduce these characters into the, into the, into the bigger story, um, as they're trying to make their way through the Krakoan Key that is located down in Coney Island in Brooklyn, they are accosted by nameless, faceless, you know, uh, uh, troops. But it turns out that they are uh, in league with um, uh, these uh, – actually, no. My apologies. I thought they were in league with the, some of the supervillains that they had confronted before, but I don't think so. Right. Because at, at first, you could almost believe that, okay, maybe this is Cradle, but 
not but because the cradle does get brought up uh earlier in this uh in this issue but like you can pretty much like no because if it were cradle you'd pretty much know and they would have they would have announced themselves but yeah like uh, right. agent like agent 70 said like yeah this is some we can presume that these are these are human uh one of the one of the um could be orcus or one of the other offshoot humans who are trying to um you know who are, who are trying to take down the Kukurwans. right um and i feel like i don't know these people may have brought up been brought up either here or someplace else but i honestly don't know where but regardless like it just said they get caught one of them gets away and then um who ends up um calling calling uh the pretty much of other records becomes in and i kind of got a i got a i got a chuckle one out of the splash page mm-hmm. right which is our cliffhanger page um i got a i got a chuckle out of the you know this is the this is uh marvel boy's younger brother Daycrawler. i think he yes, is correct and um and and uh I, I i get a kick out of him uh uh, uh mixing up one group uh, yes. With another and combining the w- more well-known uh, battle phrase or, or, or battle cry, as it were, catchphrase, mm-hmm. and I also got a kick out of the composition of the characters. I'm like, uh, okay, Virayala. Uh, right. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at your I'm looking at your character choices here, and um, I can recognize most, but not two of them. Or I can recognize one of the I can recognize all of them, but one. And then the 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 next to last one is why, and the why is maggot, and and the is? one I don't necessarily recognize. I want to say that that is. Um, uh, the 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 new mutant, um, the flaming haired lady. Oh, ma- magma. Magma. Yes, I want to say that's magma, but it's magma, but it's hard to tell. Right. I'm. I was. I took that under assumption also. See, I'm kind of like you. Was like I know most of them, with the exception of the person that's next to Cyclops, and the fact that they have Cyclops in his old, well, I guess his post. Um, Cause was he wearing that before, before um, the gala? I don't think so. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the uh, the Hoxpox uniform. Was it okay? Yeah, that's the Hoxpox uniform. So yeah, but maggot. Yeah, that's maggot. That's why when, when, when uh, you you you. I don't think you had been re- you were reading comics when maggot was introduced yeah, in so. the nineties. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, so I you know just just kind of. It, it kind of struck me as curious her choice of uh, characters for this particular away mission. Right. So is that thing next to him also a part of his whole deal or no? Yeah, that's like either eeny, meeny, or miny or whatever. You know, they're like little worms that eat stuff. And yeah, it's, yeah, that, that, that character has undergone some transformations, man. Okay, gotcha. So, but outside of that, everybody, everybody else is pretty much ones that you wouldn't know. I mean, some people would even know Pixie at the top, but exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if we're go- yeah, I was about to say if we're going in order of uh, uh, characters that people won't know, we're definitely going Maggot and then Pixie and then probably Magma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then that's everyone where it is. Is, everyone else is recognizable. Right. So. So, but uh, but yeah, that's where this issue ends off. So that is the uh, the Children of the Atom uh, number four. Mm-hmm. It is, as we said, running tangentially to the um, the Hellfire Gala uh, 
proper, although we don't know what's going to happen in five. No, we don't. Um, and and as far as the um, the reading order, we don't know from this. Well, this is I think this is just this month, so we won't know. Um, well, no, it does slide into the reading order. It slots right in after. No, what I'm saying five. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right, we won't know until um, the next month's reading order is issued. Right. So next up is Planet Size uh, X Men number one, as as we said earlier, uh, and that is definitely going to be uh, back at the gala proper. Right. Next week, we are due Planet Size X-Men number one, at least according to the reading order. I have not looked at the solicitations, but uh, Planet Size X-Men number one, New Mutants number 19, and X-Corp number two. I suspect that, X- that Wolverine might also be coming, but I don't know. Oh, for next week? I think so, but I'm not sure. Yeah, just have to check the solicitations. Yeah, because so anyway. they will throw four books out there as, as opposed to like three or two, uh, three, you know, so like something, it'll either be like between three, uh, between two and four, they'll, they'll, they'll pop out there per week. But since it's a gallery, I would imagine they're probably trying to get at least three out per, per week. So we'll see. Next up, though, um, do you want to do one more before we go to rapid or? You made me look at the, soli- uh, check the solicitations, <laughs> just double check. So I'm just on the Diamond website, uh, just checking the Marvel books that are scheduled to be out next week. And what were we looking for? Wolverine? Yes. No, it's not out next week. Oh, okay. So I'm kind of surprised because since that got brought up during X Factor, not X Factor, uh, X Force, but that was last week. So, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of actually kind of surprised by that. Yeah, we're still gonna get those three. Uh, editions of the Hellfire Gala books next week. Right. And there's a book I totally forgot to 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 to, to read. I'm kind of bummed about that. But regardless, we're going to move on to uh, let's do because um, we can probably do all three of these in, in one swoop. Heroes Reborn number six. Sure. There are three Heroes Reborn books out this week. The first one we're going to talk about is Heroes Reborn number six. It's written by Jason Aaron. Art in the first story by Erica D'Urso and colors by Jason Keith. Pencils in the second story by Ed McGuinness. Inks in the second story by Mark Morales. Colors by Matthew Wilson. And letters throughout the book by VC's Corey Pettit. So this issue, as uh, we've been saying over the course of this mini uh, Heroes Reborn event, uh, this issue focuses upon yet another member of the Squadron Supreme of America, uh, we are now up to Power Princess, the Marvel analog to Wonder Woman. And, you know, we, we start off this issue with uh, some of her exploits, uh, namely taking on this version, this reality's version of the Mangog. And if you're not familiar with the Mangog, the Mangog is ridiculously powerful and she finds herself able to deal with it by her lonesome which is definitely a testament to how powerful they are portraying her to be. Right. Um, the wait, so is this the same version or is this a similar version of Gog that we see in Spider-Man? No, that's, that's not, that's a Gog. This is man Gog. Okay. Totally different character. If you say so, I don't know. That's why I was like, I had to ask. I'm like, is this supposed to be a, like a different version of that or not? But okay. Continue. No, no, um, no. So Mangog is um, 
or the Mangog is a physical manifestation. I'm literally reading it off the thing because I've only ever read a few comics with him in it. And, you know, some of them are recent, some of them are old. So it's kind of hard to reconcile the two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the physical manifestation and some total of the hatred of a billion beings from a race that was slaughtered by the ruler of Ga- Asgard and uh, the Norse gods, Odin. Wow. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, the Mangog has been around for a long time, and he is, uh, you know, uh, at various times taking on um, uh, uh, lots of different levels of power. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, in any event, um, the Power Princess, as I said, is victorious, and we find out that she has taken up a residence in the Statue of Liberty. I'm like, oh, that's that's so much like, you know, Carol Danvers here. So we definitely see they have adapted a little bit of Captain Marvel to her, obviously, in addition to um, uh, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And they've also given her, uh, uh, of all things, you know, it's not... Um, the mirror of Erezed, you know, shout out to Harry Potter people. It's not, um, it's not, uh, magic. Oh, what's, um, what is, what's her face's, um, uh, mirror called? Oh, Does it have from, uh, from, um, from, um, from Snow White? Yes. The, I think it's just called magic mirror, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was just magic mirror or mirror, mirror on the wall. Right. right yeah. So, but in this case, uh, it's uh, the Siege Perilous, and she's calling it Perry for yeah. short. I got a kick out of that. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Like, judge, and, and given what we have known the Siege Perilous to have done in the past, I'm like, that's a weird use for it, but all right, so sure. <laughs> right. So we get a little bit of a trophy room, a look at her trophy room, which has the heads of several uh, Marvel monsters and entities um, decorating it. There's a Dormammu head in uh, in the fireplace, keeping it lit, which is funny. Um, and 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 she's reminiscing of uh, uh, some of her uh, romantic conquests. Like she she misses the fact that she used to get down and dirty with uh, Namor, the Submariner, and now. She's trying to come up with a reason to, you know, uh, stay interested in life because she's looking for a good war. You know, she's one of those types where she's just looking for a reason to to uh, not just get drunk all day. Right. And yes. uh, it turns out that one of the things that she was able to do was um, uh, use uh, a power uh, to, to turn uh, people into stone. You know, I, I, did they say it was like re, uh, related to uh, Medusa, or it was just one of those things that her people on her island were able yeah, to do? It's just that her people, the, her, the people on her island knew, knew to do it. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And what ends up happening is uh, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules uh, comes out of his stone spell just for a moment because something is afoot, mm-hmm. and that something afoot is some lightning and thunder. And he starts cracking up because he knows this is all about to start crumbling down, and he goes back to stone. Right, and and I guess some slightly worth noteworthy uh, additions to her stone garden is uh, one Janet Van Dyne, who who in this um, who in this uh, uh, universe or or whatever is going by the giantess, um, and the the. As she said, the ferocious she cat Tigra. Also, both uh, you know, in, in this com- in this context, um, 
you know, uh, Giganta and Cheetah of Wonder Woman. So they kind of had to get the, the analogs there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also referenced Nold or whatever else. Okay, maybe. But yeah, after after this happens, um, we see some, some would say some familiar lightning and thunder happening. But, you know, if you, unless you don't think about it at the time, like me. <laughs> Oh really? Oh no! I was just like, I know what that is. Yeah. Especially since we're dealing with the Wonder Woman analog. Well, because so. it also could have been like Storm, but I was, you know, but I didn't. But this know. is an Avengers event. So. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. But like, hey, you never know. They might have. She might have come up as like Weather Witch or something, and then and then would have taken her down and something like that. I don't know. You you never never really know. Right. So, um. So 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 uh, so Power Princess basically uh, grabs from her uh, weapons box it's not even a weapons tr- chest or weapons room it's just a, a, a you know some some thrown away weapons that uh, that she's uh gotten over the years including uh, one we don't see what's that including one we don't see apparently what's that the one she ends up using the the uh the invisible sword Oh right, well that's funny. Well, I was about to say we'll get to that. That was mm-hmm. pretty funny. I like that though. Yeah. Um, so so she basically uses a shard of the Rainbow Bridge fashioned into an axe to transport herself to Asgard, which is in ruins apparently. And uh, what she encounters there is um, a being who we know as Thor, but he's just now starting to get uh, his memory back, mm-hmm. and um, you know he's just gotten uh sober for 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 a little while and he basically confronts power princess and she as roddy cat mentioned uh takes um uh something you know a a twist on the invisible plane Mm -hmm. you know that you know they adapt from wonder woman she has an invisible sword which is funny i got a kick out of that i thought that was pretty inventive (laughs) i was like really i was like all right that was that was that was cute that that was kind of cute I um, thought that was a nice little touch. Right. And uh, the two of them basically go at it. Uh, Thor is slowly manifesting uh, some of his powers as the Thunder God. And ultimately... <laughs> What's that? I don't know. I had shades of uh, Ragnarok when, when when that started happening. When when uh, yes. when uh, Led Zepp uh, started coming in. Yes, yes, yes. I was about to say Immigrant Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah you get a little mm. bit of that. And... Uh, you know, um, he starts. You know, she, he starts to manifest the powers, and we get some more flashbacks on some of the characters that she has taken down. Essentially, if not single-handedly, had a very big part in taking down, mm-hmm. like Phoenix, like a, a, a celestial, like a, 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 a World War Hulk, Hulk, mm-hmm. Planet Hulk, Hulk. And um, she's apparently fought back to back with Scourge, the Executioner, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, come flying out of nowhere is a bolt of lightning that blasts that 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 that, that, that hits her upside the head, and uh, she times. recognizes that it feels almost like da da da. Is that an Uru hammer? I hear, I feel, hear, see, or taste. Mm-hmm. And ends up being, of course, Mjolnir. Meow, meow. 
Oh gosh. <laughs> and of course, lies. I, I, I was going to say, I blame Darcy for not helping everyone learn how to say Mjolnir <laughs> because I still hear people messing it up on podcasts, on whatever. And I'm like, come on, it's Mjolnir. It's not that hard. Uh, Agent 70, being a, a Thor fan, you know, would, would, would get into that kind of minutia, but that's fine. And it's, of course. It's worth noting. Worth noting. Uh, and I'll, but, I would just note that, you know, when we get the Thor here, and I'll let you go on with your thought, just hold your thought. The Thor that we get here is dressed in his oldest, old-fashioned costume, which mm-hmm. I find very interesting. Go on. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I was going to make note of that, um, that, yes, uh, Mjolnir flies into Thor's hand, he transforms into Thor, and like Age of 70 said, gets into his old gear. Um, and instead of continuing fighting, he disappears. Uh, after saying he remembers, he remembers everything, uh, and he remembers that, and then disappears, which we assume is going to be a thing that she's going to reference uh, in the next couple of pages, uh, as uh, a Power Princess tries to go bearing down on him as he disappears. Um, uh, then she meets up with the rest of the Squadron Supreme, uh, and uh, she asks. Um, she she pretty much hips them to what happened, and then she uh, asked, uh, "Have they ever heard of the Avengers?" And then right. that's their, where the their headquarters is, is essentially located inside the Washington Monument, mm-hmm. and they are meeting there. And uh, uh, we have Hyperion, Nighthawk, Doctor Spectrum, and Blur, in addition to Power Princess, around this table. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the main story ends, and we get into the uh, backup story, which. Uh, um, is centered around uh, Thor in the past uh, and pretty much catching him up to... Now, we had seen Thor... Uh, it's worth noting we've seen Thor in Heroes Book 4 and 4 when, you know, uh, I want to say first second issue when he gets come across and he's all drunk and whatnot. So this story right. pretty much... Leads... Can't, yeah, Blade can't figure out how to snap him out of it. Exactly. But apparently it is from that that we assume that Thor kind of goes off and, and, and things. Up. Well, no, actually, I think it's not the thing, but I think what happens after that, if I remember correctly, especially, and it's kind of mentioned here that he has a uh, drinking horn that never runs dry. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, something happens with him and that thing after he's trying to get drunk. That is the catalyst uh, to start off him remembering and him coming into this issue to remember. Uh, but I would have to go back a couple of issues to, to, uh, to, to find out for sure. But I think that's actually what happened. And yeah, we kind of get back to where, uh, after the fact that he's, he's doubled over at the bar and, and he starts failing things, um, to, to current, I guess you could say to where he's, uh, you know, you know, in his door gear and meets up with the, uh, Phoenix, AKA, um, uh, Echo, aka Michael Lopez, who right. says, "Hey, my friends, I'm the Phoenix. My friends and I can help." And then that's where that ends. So to be continued in Heroes Before Number Seven, which I guess, yeah, now that that's now that we've got the yeah, that's the last issue exactly. of Heroes Born. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is when all this is going to come together. In well, the last I guess official because apparently thanks to the checklist, there's a Heroes Return, which I guess is going to be the epilogue right. or something. No, that's actually, I think, the end of the series. You know, the end of the event. Right. That's the end of the event, but because they changed the title, it's a new book. Gotcha. 
So, yeah, there we go. And I, I don't know, I guess next week is going to be the week for the next couple of books. Um, My understanding is um, Heroes Reborn number seven is out next week. I'll just double check because I still have the solicitations up. Uh, yeah, so we get Heroes Reborn number seven out next week. And then I believe Heroes Return probably the week after uh, Wait, you know, I was about to say aren't we glad that this is coming out on a timely basis yes. like it's just coming out week after week after week yes um, and it's moving uh, yes just as importantly definitely I, yeah, I, so far I've liked this event because it really has shown a spotlight on the individual members of the squadron and made us understand you know how similar and different they, they they could be from what we knew them to be and you know we don't know if this if these characters are going to translate the same into the regular timeline when it's restored right we don't know because obviously these are all lived experiences um that they are that they have accumulated in this timeline which is you know resulted in the characters that we've seen in these stories but you know we don't know if they're going to take those accumulated experiences with them Presumably, when the timeline is restored, you know, after Heroes Return. Right. And we still don't know how this happened, which at this point may sound like it doesn't matter because it's almost over, but that will probably lend itself into how it ends also. Right. Or it just could, I hate to say this, or just could be part of another continuing story in the pages of Avengers because that Mephisto story, you know, and it's clear that Mephisto has something to do with this. True. Uh, you know that may, that may uh, end up uh, rolling back into the regular pages of Avengers. Yeah, well, we will see. Um, apparently, there was there was something else I was going to say about this, but it, it apparently wasn't that important. So, uh, no, I was can... about to say you can cover, you can start, you can go quickly through the um, the tie-in issues, the one shots. So sure. Um... Let me go ahead and pull the the one up first. And actually, we could have probably done this one first because this is more possibly more prevalent from last week's book or last week's Heroes Are Born book than not this week's. But um, Heroes Are Born Night Gwen number one uh, is written by Vidya Ayala, art by Farid uh, Karami, uh, excuse me, colors by Eric Arseniega. Uh, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So, um, you would think, again, after reading last uh, last uh, issues, last uh, yeah, last issues, um, Heroes Born, you would think that this would probably be an origin story of uh, Night Gwen, aka Nightbird. It's kind of not. It's just pretty much a story of her. Um, like, we get a little bit of backstory on her, but we don't get unnecessarily uh, an origin story. But the rest of it is pretty much, hey, the set up the fact that, hey, she's Dr. Gwen Stacy. She works at, um, I want to say Arkham, and that's not, that's not cool. Uh, that's not right, but it's, it's the Marvel parallel, which is Ravencroft. Um, uh, she's a doctor there, which almost gave me shades of, are they going to Holly Quinn? They could very well have Holly Quinn uh, her, but they did not, thankfully. Uh, so yeah, we get a little bit of backstory and then we kind of get into a, a story, um, that I won't say too much about, but it definitely has to do with some Spider-Man, uh, a, a Spider-Man villain or two, but not the same person, uh, not the same original person. Uh, there's also night nurses that come popping through. It's like a night nurse convention there. It's kind of funny. 
Um, and there's even a kind of a joke uh, about Gwen losing her status of the, her, her night nurse status or membership card or something like that. Um, but outside of that, it's just pretty much her, you know, in birth size of her life being, uh, being a psychiatrist and being Nightbird taking down this, uh, let's say this, this, uh, Spider-Man villain who happens to be someone else in, uh, the Spider-Man universe, uh, in that role. And there's a bit of an obsession going on in that. So that kind of may or may not tell you who who anything that has anything to do with it. But there you go. I was about to say the obsession part comes from the original character, but the the Correct. different character that's under the mask was a nice surprise. Correct. Exactly. But also, if you read the if you read the issue, if you paid attention to the issue, like okay, yeah, that makes sense if you kind of read a couple of things through. The, through the lines because like okay because it's always you know it's, it's always like that one person like you don't really think of but there you go and it just so happens to be that person uh right like not completely telegraphed but i understand right exactly exactly because because just like you i was like huh okay I, I did not expect that because you know up until the one thing was said and i was like well okay well it's clearly not this person or it was said and done it was like well clearly it was not this person and then they kind of pivoted to this other person. So again, I won't give it away. Um, but yeah, it was all right. I was like, I, said, I was kind of expecting more of an origin than, than this, but it is what it is on, on this. Cause I, why take the chance to, why take the, the, the time to actually give an origin story to a character who's probably not going to be around. Cause who's, who's pretty much only around in the service of this, um, in this event, basically. I um, do have to say though, mm-hmm. uh, on the on very much a positive note in this issue Farid Karami the artist be on the lookout for this guy yeah because this art was really solid mm-hmm. you know as I was flipping through this I was very very much impressed and I didn't have a chance to look up this person's name but I want to make sure that we keep this uh, Farid Karami's name in our databanks because the art I thought was super, super solid throughout this issue. And I also want to say that this Night Gwen, Night Bird costume, the design was phenomenal. It's not- I really hope for the sake of uh, 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 the Night Bird character, I hope they bring that back because I thought the design on this was really good. Right. And and if... if so you see... Like I was about to say, I'm like, they couldn't make Batgirl or, or Batwoman look that good. Damn. Well, see, well, see there you go, because I was about to get to that. Because if, you, if you're watching the video, you can see the design, you can see the costume, and it's very much a Batgirl-ish type design. Um, for obvious reasons, because Night Nighthawk in itself um, is also a Batman parallel. Um, so it goes to reason. Now, she's not, she doesn't go full... Batgirl, obviously, because her background is different and she doesn't have the, the, the photographic memory and here and now, all that kind of thing. But yeah, that, as uh, Agent 70 said, the design of the costume is actually pretty good. But also, I had to, halfway through, I was thinking, like, how does anyone see her and not know it's, it's her? Not know it's not her if they, if they knew who it is, if they know her, you know? Because it's not, because it's almost like a Nightwing situation where Nightwing only pretty much has, like, the goggle or the mask on, or around the eyes. I'm like, sure, but yeah like right. yes you could say she that has a, she, has, 
additional right she has the additional part that goes over her ears right you know which does cut off you know like a third of her face but obviously the bottom part is still exposed so uh yeah i i definitely i definitely understand that point so that's that's all that is but outside of that it, it is what it is because i mean it's comics and then they never know but apparently well except for the one person in here uh right so uh next up though i think we're done I just kept at the uh, at the costume yeah you know, I, the costume so goes, yeah it's, I was like, wow, that's a really well-rendered costume, well-designed. Right. But also, like I said, it still takes after Batgirl, so it's not, you know, I, I, uh, even in the coloring, kind of is there. Yeah, I was about to say, it's not, yeah, not going to be, uh, whatchamacallit, it's not going to be uh, completely unique, but what I was going to say, what I, re- what I guess I really liked about it is the way they incorporated the shoulders, uh, the, 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 the cape over the shoulders. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's actually something that the McFarlane toys are doing with the current Batman uh, action figures, where the capes always go over the shoulders like that, with that little like point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a design aesthetic that I got that I picked up on because I don't think any of the Batgirls or the Batwomen have that, which I really liked. Gotcha. That being said, we move on to uh, Heroes of Born Savage Squadron number one, which is basically basically Savage Avengers or Suicide Squad. In a sense, right? It's the Savage Squad, as opposed as opposed to Squadron Savage. Exactly. So, uh, in in, in that, there's suicidal Avengers. Yeah, I don't know. Basically, yeah, it's, it's Avengers Suicide Squad. So so so, which you know. Um, so that being said, it uh, in what is kind of the a, the twist here in this one. Is that uh, Electra goes on a, a recruitment spree of uh, some folks, including one Frank Castle, who is in this universe, but uh, doesn't have the tragic backstory that that we know him for in the the regular universe, or so we think. Uh, at the beginning of this, uh, he's trying to get out the game. She, she's uh, bringing her back in, and it's like it's some world-ending stuff, and blah blah blah. Um, and she's we see her playing chess with somebody who we don't see right off the bat. Uh, but who we come to find out is uh, later. Um, but she puts this team together to go do this thing. Um, uh, uh, she runs up ac- across this group, and I've and one of the villains. I don't know. I don't know if you read this one, and I don't know if you um, if you looked at this. But one of the, the first villains that they come across, I thought was Quentin Quire because of the hair. And I don't know if this is a somebody uh, that's in the regular universe or not. This this uh, remnant person with the magic carpet. Um, but they go in through this thing they, and they try to take out this group, but they meet with some resistance. Uh, we come to find out at the end of it, Kang is involved. Um, um, the Winter Soldier shows up. Um, Cloak and Dagger are, are in the mix. Uh, Cloak is looking for whoever killed Dagger, but apparently, <gasps> spoiler alert, that's not all, that always the case. Some people die. Uh, some people get severely hurt. And um, everybody pretty much gets reset thanks to the person that Elektra is playing uh, against, who is, of course, the Secretary of Defense, a.k.a. Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. the Kingpin. And then at the end of this, it looks like there's pretty much a new group uh, made out of some newly acquired assets and some people who are on the team. Um, 
Uh, and that's pretty much where this ends. So there was... I don't recall this team coming up anywhere else in uh, Heroes of Rowan, or this is just one of the side ones that are like, here, we're just going to throw this out here for whatever odd reason. You know, which this seems more of the case than not. Uh, because even the, even the reason why Kane kind of comes in he, is like he feels like he needs to reset this timeline or something like that, but they end up stopping him. Um, and there's also some, let's say, brainwashing going on, uh, resetting almost Winter Soldier style uh, uh, going on here at the end of this. So again, this is probably never going to come back up again. So it was just kind of a one-off thing. Let, let us assume. Right, that is what it, it was. Is. A shame that uh, this is the the most we've seen. Uh, uh, cloak and dagger. The most action we've seen cloak and dagger have in a while. Right. Uh, I did see that uh, they introduced a character called Murder Hornet into this now. Yes. Uh, you know, to to tap on to tap into some of uh, more of the uh, the recent headlines, and I got a kick out of seeing all of the the have never I haven't heard these names of these characters in the longest time, mm-hmm. like the the bad guys that the that these um, that these savage uh, squadron these squadron savage people are going against. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, wow, I haven't heard that name in forever. You're better than me because I don't think I've ever heard of any of them. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, whatchamacallit? Um, oh, where is it? They start naming them. Uh, Mink, Haywire, Foxfire, Thermite, and Moonglow. Well, obviously, Moonglow's dagger. Right. So. Um, and I think, yeah, that Murder Hornet kind of maybe, I don't know if this is the case, but feels kind of like Scott Lang, but. More a little bit more serious. Yeah, I think so. So, we we can we can assume that and or actually a, a mix of let's say uh, Scott Lang and I don't know maybe even either Cassie or Nadia um, right. from different right, MCU. Right. Yeah, a combination of, right, a combination of them. Yeah, but yeah, like I said, just these are characters that like you if if you like me were ever into reading the Ohatmu handbooks as they were coming out back in the day. Which was you know, these were characters that like had maybe half a page of an entry, mm. but were still really interesting to look at. You know, in their in their uh, character portrait. So, um, I, and and their names obviously you know, uh, stuck out. So it was just, it was just kind of interesting to see, you know, the, how, how deep, um, who wrote this? Uh, this is Vida. Uh, wait, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me go back. Cause I thought I said, Ethan, oh no, I didn't actually say, um, Ethan Sachs. Oh, okay. Uh, wrote this. So how I, yeah, let me go ahead and, yeah, yeah let me go ahead go and ahead. say the, the, cause I totally didn't say the creative team. So Ethan Sachs is a writer. Luca Pizzari is the artist. Uh, Carlos Lopez is the color artist. Uh, VC's Travis Landham is the letterer. Right, right. So Ethan Sachs definitely did some digging into uh, the the not the bottom of the barrel, but definitely deeper into this into the cat into the uh, character library. I want to say Ethan Sachs has kind of been around. In fact, I think he's is he writing Star Wars. Well, I know he's definitely been around. I've seen that name in Marvel uh, in, in a while, so he has definitely written some things for Marvel. And I had to actually yes. look back and see what, and I think he's actually also writing that Star Wars Bounty Hunters book that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that is also his his uh, his current working for Marvel. So yeah, there you go. But that's that. Like I said, I I totally did not know these uh, these folks uh, from Adam, but uh, thankfully uh, Agent Seventy did. <laughs> 
Well, no, th- I didn't know them. I recognized the names, though, which is cool. Oh, okay. Well, still, that's more recognition than I had. <laughs> so, uh, that being said, uh, we can go on to Rapid Fire. All righty. I will spin it up. I ain't got time to bleed. All righty. So, uh, do you want me to start running through them? Because sure. um, I believe we read many similar things this week. Indeed. But not this one. So, the first book I've got in Rapid Fire is uh, The Good Asian Number Two. This is from Image. It is written by uh, Pornsak Pichetshot uh, with art by Alexandra Tefenki. Colors by Lee Luffridge and letters by Jeff Powell. So for anyone who uh, wasn't around when I uh, reviewed the first issue, this is um, a Chinatown noir tale, crime noir tale. So be prepared for very little um, um, uh, superheroing, obviously, or or no superheroing, but definitely some crime and, um, uh, and some action based around that, some intrigue. And, you know, in this issue, we have further, you know, further steps that uh, Edison Hark, the detective, the, the Chinese uh, American detective from Hawaii, who, uh, because he's, you know, because he uh, uh, earned his badge in Hawaii, um, is probably the only one of the few Asian um, police officers or Chinese police officers um, in this era. Uh, this is... Um, this is post Chinese Exclusion Act, so we're talking uh, 1936, and uh, the the web of uh, intrigue thickens as the investigation unfurls. the uh, The investigation into the disappearance of um, uh, uh, of the uh, the his um, his guardian's uh, Chinese housekeeper deepens the investigation deepens and uh you know without spoiling too much of what happens there is some action in this because it's it may be tied into something uh that uh an investigation that he happens to uh uh, uh stumble into um in that is happening concurrently with his own investigation into the uh disappearance of his uh, guardian's um chinese maid so um there's lots of uh stuff afoot in this and it is interesting it is only the second issue i think it is very much worth everyone's time to pick this up and take a look at it Next up is Amazing Spider-Man number 68 it's written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson co-writers art by Marcelo Ferreira, Carlos Gomez, and Zay Carlos. Inks by Wayne Foucher, Carlos Gomez, and Zay Carlos. Colors by Maury Hollowell, Andrew Crossley, and Eric Arseniega. And letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So there are some serious revelations in this issue. You read this, correct? Yes, I did. There are some serious revelations in this issue. I was like, what? Well, firstly, we deal with... Um, uh, 
uh, Teresa Parker's uh, confrontation with the finisher. Uh, you know, this is definitely a blast from the past that I don't recognize. But, um, you know, we do get caught up on the finisher story. And we also get caught up on the reappearance of one Ned Leeds and how that fits into one of the seminal stories that a lot of us read growing up, which was uh, Spider-Man and Wolverine, Spider-Man versus Wolverine number one. Right. There's written one Christopher Priest, aka James Owsley from back in the day. I don't love doing that. Um uh yeah, there's definitely that one page with uh with the, there's a few uh like like three or four footnotes um get uh, get brought up, in, including that one that uh, uh Agent Seventy just mentioned. Um so I was like, yeah, they they, they put out uh they bring up a good bit. Uh, and during the course of this issue and it's like alright alright so we're just feeding back into all of this that's great half of this I vaguely remember some of it I pretty much don't um, but you mean how Ned well Ned, how that whole Ned thing is uh, during the Spider-Man versus Wolverine issue right. and um, what's funny about it is that they tie it right back into the current storyline right. with the um with the uh, whatchamacallit, the clairvoyant, that machine that uh, uh, Peter Parker's lab partner has put together. And now he has to go through this whole uh, heist scenario um, thanks to uh, all the trouble that he's in with the foreigner in order to get a power source for the clairvoyant. And uh, things go awry, even with the uh, assistance of uh, some uh, ne'er do wells. Um, who are who who have been on Spidey's radar before, but ultimately we get to the end of the issue and things go from bad to worse for Spidey, who have been on. Oh, there's my echo. No, that was me starting the the YouTube chat, uh, restarting the YouTube oh. chat. Um, but yeah, uh, everything uh, Agent Seventy just said uh, applies. Um. I love how uh, uh, Teresa Parker just like shoots first and don't ask any kind of questions <laughs> in the beginning. She's like, blah, blah, blah. So, and Camila's like, so this is how you greet people, huh? Um, sure. We also get a quick little backup story, yes. um, which leads us into the Sinister War event that's going to be coming up soon. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I'm not going to talk about the event now, but there, uh, it, it's, it's kind of obvious when, you know, you get. Uh, the the history of the Sinister Six and the various iterations of it, um, you know, there there are going to be factions involved. So we'll put it, we'll leave it at that. Right, and one faction is uh, trying to put get the band back together. Exactly, exactly. Alrighty, next up, believe it or not, believe it or not, this next book is going to be one of my potential clicks of the week. Hmm. Uh, click of the week, and that is Iron Man number nine. It's written by Christopher Cantwell, Cantwell, with art by Cafu, colors by Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Like I said, this is a potential click of the week for me because I was duly impressed, duly impressed with uh, the uh, the recap of the origin of um, uh, one Michael Korvac. And how that was, you know, retold over the course of the first half of this book. I really appreciated that. I thought it was long overdue. I'll tell, I'll be honest. I honestly thought this should have been done much earlier than nine issues into the story arc. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, because Korvac has been the, um, 
the uh, the the big bad of this opening uh, uh, story for Iron Man, and uh, it's it's unfortunate that it. I think Cantwell has relied, has overly relied upon people knowing who Michael Korvac is to get to this point. But this is, I think, a slightly late reveal of his uh, backstory uh, or a recap of his backstory, at least in my opinion. Mm. Ronnie Cap probably feels differently because he's much more familiar with this uh, story, having read the comics. Um, I'm much more familiar with it from the Ohatmu. Shout out but, to Ohamu. Well, the only way I differ in this is that I don't know if he's relying on that or he's. I, I feel like, like yeah, I I feel like you're right in that if you if they were, if he was trying to do that, he would have done this way earlier than now. But I don't think that's I don't know his 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 uh, his, his intentions. But I think he was just like, nope, here's Corvac, and then we'll get this now. And if anybody who don't know him already, just like can treat him as a new person until they find this out, and or you know, or they may know who he is, like like I do, you know, who was a very big bad back in the uh, um uh or in, in one particular moment in the Avengers history. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if he's. I'm not sure if I can safely say that he's reliant on the fact that people know him that or whether he's just like, no, nah, I'm just setting him up in a different way. And people, if you know him, you know him. If you don't, you don't. That's all. Sure. Personally. But what what's funny is that at uh, at this particular juncture, once we get the uh, the the flash to the now, with the the you know we get we get out of our flashback, we come upon what has happened to the original Human Torch, Jim Hammond, and this was definitely um, to me at least out of left field. Yes, same. This was completely out of left field. We last saw Jim Hammond. In the uh, uh, the Invaders uh, comic book, mm-hmm. um, and we do unfortunately uh, recap. You know, the, the what happens to him in that Invaders book is recapped here in this book, uh, in this issue, and uh, it turns out to be a great source of angst for one Jim Hammond, mm-hmm. and uh, Korvac seeks to provide uh, uh, Jim Hammond with uh, an out on this. And, you know, as we continue to get more of a flashback on uh, Michael Korvac's story, and uh, this is part of uh, him catching up Jim Hammond on what his plans are, and, uh, you know, what Jim, what, what Korvac seems to have been looking for was an ally, but instead he ended up with, he ended up with, he wanted an ally, a brother, he ended up with a slave. So, right. because he's going to uh, uh, exert some control over uh, Hammond's android body. Right. He tries to use a, let's say, little to lesser known um, tie between them two, a very lesser known tie between them two, uh, some would say, uh, in order to make this relationship happen, but doesn't go well, away. I was about to say, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a recent tie in a sense. Because this Korvac isn't the original Korvac. Correct. You know, this Korvac has been essentially reincarnated into a new body, which is where their connection comes from. Well, and and also, right, and which is slightly ironic considering Jim Hammond's original body is where the tie is and he not having that tie coming into this issue anymore, but thanks to what happened in Invaders. Um... But nevertheless, like I said, Korvac still tries, tries to use that to get him, get him on the side and doesn't end up working out. 
but um, as one would expect, it, it was inevitable. Uh, inevitable, what was going to end up happening, or kind of inevitable, what was going to end up happening at the end, because you could saw it, you saw it coming when they even mentioned before they even mentioned it. Like, there's no way Korvac was doing this out of the good, doing what he was doing for Jim out of the out of the goodness of his heart, you know, without some sort of. Uh, Without some sort of uh, token or, or without some sort of key or something. So, and there you go. That's what ended up happening at the end of this. So, still no Iron Man. This pretty much was just a Corvax issue. I mean, yeah, Iron Man shows up in a sense because we go, we get flashbacks to uh, the Avengers when they meet up with Cor- Well, it's back during the same time. We definitely don't see that scene play out the same way uh, in the uh, the Avengers that I remember, anyway, I would have to go back and read that issue, but I'm almost fairly certain it does not play out the same way that it plays out here. Uh, mm-hmm. Going into, into what ends up happening to in that issue of the Avengers. But other than that, yeah, still pretty good. I enjoyed this issue as well. Um, um, yeah, that's pretty much that. Next up, though. Yeah, seriously, seriously uh, a surprise potential click of the week for me all right next up is strange academy number 11 it's written by scotty young with art by umberto's clam house i mean umberto ramos um colors by edgar delgado and letters by vcs clayton cowell so this is another potential click of the week i really enjoyed reading this scotty young is doing a bang-up job with this story um it starts out with what appears to be a murder mystery and it is shocking uh, to see how this has come about. It's also shocking to see, I guess maybe I wasn't paying as close attention as I should have, to see um, this particular character's parentage. I was like, what? That's how this character comes about? Okay, now it makes a little bit more sense. Um, so, uh, you know, as the investigation into the uh, the parent murder of this character moves forward, they bring in or uh, Doctor Voodoo calls in is none other than Howard the Duck, Ugh. and he actually. What's the matter? No, you you did Howard the Duck, and I did the the thing they say after it. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I was about to say shout out to Leah Thompson and uh, Holly Robinson. Indeed. Uh, um, and uh, he actually does a pretty good job of going through the suspects and doing uh, an investigation. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually pretty well done. And um, the the ultimate reveal uh, actually comes apart co- comes out because um, well, one um, Howard uh, does come upon a clue, and the final reveal happens because of. Uh, uh, something being revealed that is amiss with one of the students, and it is a, a part of um, this student's particular magical power abilities and and uh, heritage. Hmm. It's well that we know of anyway. But I'm thinking, I'm not. I don't know. I'm slightly not convinced of it because I feel like this is just throwing back to, uh, or maybe it is, and it's just still throwing back to. Uh, an earlier volume of Doctor Strange uh, having to do with a similarly named character. And I think, I I feel like it is very much the same character, actually, but I don't know for certain. Um, But also, let's just say that um, there might be some sort of a symbiotic relationship. (laughs) Between this character and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the 
into his favorite uh, closing item mm-hmm. that is coming to play for evil intent. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Regardless. So, but yeah, I enjoyed reading this because um, yeah, it looks at the Howard showing up and being an investigator, and you know the the everything that went on in this, in this book was actually pretty good. And, and I, I've always and I've usually enjoyed this book when it comes out anyway, so that's not a surprise to anybody who's been with us for for what eleven issues. <laughs> so, anyway, you got anything else? And that's it for me. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, then, for me, oh, I'm surprised you didn't read. Um, I'm surprised you didn't read that. So, for me, um, W.E.B. of Spider Man number one, uh, didn't read uh, Web of Spider Man. Oh, no, didn't get to it. Yeah, uh, so W.E.B. of Spider Man came out this week. Um, it is a project that we had heard about for a while ago. Um, uh, and I had to do some rereading on what this was about. It is apparently a based off of the theme park ride of the same name or something like that. Um, but also if you have watched any of, let's say the last, um, Spider-Man animated series, you kind of get shades of that in here. Also, um, uh, it is written by Kevin, Sh- uh, Shinnick, uh, art by Alberto Albuquerque, Color artist Rochelle Rosenberg uh, and letters by VCs Tra- Travis Lanham. So basically, uh, Peter ends up. Well, so the Avengers, in some sort of an initiative, let's say, um, tries to get um, a, a thing started. And one offshoot of this initiative is this web, which uh, I can't remember the, what the acronym stands for and why Peter did not recognize the, uh, the acronym for what it was when, uh, until he actually saw it written out. Um, or until he actually saw the acronym, acronym for what it was. Um, bear with me uh, one moment while I pull the book up and actually get it. It really doesn't make that big of a difference in, in the story and all, but uh, it, it's called... The Worldwide Engineering Brigade. And that's where we get the acronym of W.E.B. Webb. So Peter Parker goes to work for, goes to work with Tony Stark and uh, a bunch of geniuses uh, that some of which you know and one of which I don't know of. So Lunella uh, Lafayette, Moon Girl, shows up. She's in this book. Anome from Future uh, Foundation is also in this book. And there is a dude, Harley Keener, whose name sounds familiar to me, but I don't know where it's coming from. If it That's the kid me. from Iron Man 3. Oh. Okay. So then that would explain I why... I was just looking through this, and I was just like, oh, I know that name. Okay. So, and that explains why he says that he's... So he's a little bit more grown up in this, in this thing. But he, that's why he says he's the uh, right-hand man of Iron Man. Um, which, now that I think about it, makes this whole issue even worse, because no one likes Iron Man 3. Well, let me first, there's probably somebody who likes Iron Man 3. I am not one of those people. <laughs> I will say that, because they turned it in Long Kiss Tonight. That's neither here nor there. But regardless, so all of these folks are um, are under this uh, WEB initiative, and they're doing what they do best. They're thinking with their brains and not, you know, um, and not just going out and being superheroes. But of course, Peter Parker's here, so Spider-Man is also here. Uh, as they're trying to... Oh, Squirrel Girl also is in here. 
I don't know how I forgot that. So one Dorian Green also shows up in here as one of this collective. Um, but something happens while they're um, measuring uh, IQs and insecurities. Uh, let's just say, uh, and then a um, a virus happens to come across, which takes the form of Spidey's M- enemies that breaks out and tries to get uh, a bunch of data, and uh, and they all have to team up together to fight it and then of course for some strange reason Peter uh, out of changes into uh, Spider-Man and no one is the wiser of where Peter went and you know in classic Superman and Spider-Man style kind of goes oh yeah I sent him off to do something else <laughs> but uh, even when this one spider bite pretty much gave his um, gave his identity away when nobody else was around because there's a bunch of spider bites around everywhere but outside of that they come together to do this thing and uh, they get to a point in it and that's where this issue ends. Um, I don't know if I'm going to continue reading this, but I had to check out and see what this was. Uh, let's see. My next book is... Actually, I don't think I have anything... Oh yeah, I do have one more left actually. Uh, let me make sure. Yeah, Far Sector number 12. Um... doing this so this is the last uh issue of this book sadly uh so if you do not know this is the adventures of um a somewhat newly minted green lantern uh who has pretty much been sent off to somewhere even in dc space that no one knows about let's put it this way uh that's how far out she is and she is um to police this sector. This sector um, is made up of the three groups who have come together in the society and they've decided to um, suppress their um, emotions. Well, some folks decided for them to suppress their emotions because of things, and that has been a big thing throughout this whole run, uh, whether that should be a thing or not. And there, of course, there have been people who are for it and against it. But all that is to say that uh, this last issue um, starts where the last one before it ended, which I vaguely remember it in that a coup was started. Um, and uh, Joe, whose ring works slightly different than the other lanterns, um, uh, is basically, in a way, kind of... Um, it doesn't charge up with a battery, and it, it pretty much charges up with her energy level, I guess, or something... Something like that. I can't remember what the what the was thing, but but it's definitely different than how the the other lanterns' rings are charged. So she has to take some time to recharge it before she can use it again. And in this case, she's kind of on fumes, but she doesn't really have to use it that much because she pretty much stops the coup with words as opposed to her punching things or doing anything else with. And then the rest of the issue is pretty much like, uh, hey, this is what's happening now in uh, in this society where there's some analogs to like real world police brutality. And there's also voter suppression because there, because when this coup started, there was a referendum that was being voted on that got interrupted, uh, that, the that this coup interrupted. So there's like some, some real world allegories there. Uh, but like I said, the rest of the issue is pretty much the, the, um, pretty much tying that boat up and, uh, getting Joe, uh, in a better place um, and getting her kind of sort of to where we end up seeing her in 
uh, in the Green Lantern book proper, or at least before we get to that point, because we uh, because she was kind of on a Green Lantern trial basis, and at the end of this, it seems like she's like well, obviously since we know she shows up in uh, 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 Infinite Frontier and, and other places, she keeps on being a Lantern. But this is kind of her getting to that point to where her wanting to to, to continue to do so. Um, she even starts reciting the oath, so which, which I was um, happy to see at the end of. And I don't know right, this if, issue of the series, right? Huh? This is the last issue of the this series, is, right? Yes, yes this is the last issue of the series. Sure. Yes. So have you picked up? Uh, you, so I think, uh, especially at this point now, I would definitely suggest you take a look at the new Green Lantern series. And I plan to. Like I said, I think I glanced. I, I kind of skimmed through the first issue. And I know it's at what three right now, so I just—it's at three, right? so it's yeah. still early enough that you can pick it up because it definitely uh, involves uh, uh, the far sector lantern now. Right. So I definitely form. think um, that uh, uh, what you want to call it that uh, uh, you you should uh, uh, take a look at that. Yep, I plan to. Yeah, I just hadn't gotten around to it yet, but I definitely plan to, knowing that these other lanterns, and especially with what you said last week about the, this last issue kind of made me even more intrigued about it uh with that being said though i say you should definitely check out this book like the the run just finished and it's only 12 issues it's a interesting read now granted there are some there's a lot of memes uh that get brought up and whatnot and it's very it's kind of in its own sense referential that may or may not put you off but it's i still think it's a good read though understood yeah uh and that's it for me. So we can go on to clicks of the week. Understood. I was about to say, I love how Roddy Cat is like, oh, it's only 12 issues. I've been asking him to read Hulk Future Imperfect, which is only two issues forever. And I still don't think he's gotten to it. But this is a better read. and I'm... <laughs> I was about to say, I, I, for I, me. I, I'm pretty, I was about to say, I'm pretty sure that's, that's a subjective thing. It is. That's just and, that for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 12 issues. Ugh. It's a lot. They, because, so, and I say that because most of the issues read relatively fast. Like, yes, two issues and compared to, to 12 is still a, a far off thing. But, yeah, it, it, these, most of the issues kind of read. There's a couple of um, expeditions that be heavy uh, heavier issues, but for the most part, they read relatively fast. Uh, but funny. anyway, uh, clicks of the week. That's funny. All righty, clicks of the week. We did not get anything from the other guys. No, 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 because uh, uh, PCN underscore dirt is uh, uh, otherwise indisposed, actually. He did tell us that last week yes. that he was not going to be um, able to uh, get much reading done this week. And uh, Tim, our very own at TimDog98 seems to be very busy over at CBR right now. He's got lots of articles going up, so... Um, he probably didn't have a chance to get much reading done this week, yeah. so that and other he things also hasn't given us what's that? So that and I'm sure other things because you know he's got he's right. parenting. And... He's got lots of right. He's got lots of things going on. Um, I was going to say, did you get a chance to read that DC Pride book? Because I thought maybe you typed that onto my list by accident. Oh, did because I put it on your list? Yeah, okay. I thought you were going to type it in your list. I was like, oh, I forgot to, I forgot. You know what? I, I didn't get a chance to paste it. That's uh, I cut it out of mine and never pasted it to yours. Oh, that's I was no. like, I was wondering because, why my list why? was so short. So no, that's okay. 
I was about to say because I was like, wait, I didn't read that. No, but I, uh, I skimmed through it. I didn't actually read it, but I, I put it in there to kind of bring it up as a thing that I did actually skim through. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because I was like, I didn't read that, but then I realized that uh, you probably typed it there by accident. Yeah, I did. So, um, but you should definitely. Uh, I would say definitely. Um, was it any good? Um, I mean, from from what skimming through it, like, yeah, there was some cute stuff in there actually. Like, there yeah, was anthology books are a little tough to you know tough to read through because they're like two page stories. Exactly, and that's pretty much how it is. And of course, they're uh, uh, they are starring um, LGBT uh, LGBT plus um, uh, um, DC figures. So you you know uh, like Batwoman and uh, I think there's a crush story and there's a, there's a bunch of other people in there. Like there's a Harley Quinn and, and uh, Poison Ivy has a, has a story in there and yeah, I was gonna uh, say that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So so it's Especially pretty much they're, since yeah, I was about to say since they're really uh, coming off of their um, what you want to call it their their stint on that animated show which I haven't watched yet. Have you? No, I haven't. And I feel like that story may probably have more to do with that than not. Um. I like I, said, I have not seen that that thing, but it, the, the way it seemed, the, the way it was presented, like I feel like it, it, I don't know if it's in that same. I don't think it's in that same universe, uh, right. but it definitely feels like it's something that could have been that was possibly pulled off of out of there. But from yeah. from what I skimmed through it, like there's yeah, there's some some cute things in there, um, story wise, and like uh, Agent Seven said, like yeah, it's an anthology, and there's only a couple of you know like a couple of pages story. I think Joe actually, I know Joe, the Green Lantern I just spoke of, Joe Moline definitely has a splash page in there, but I don't know if there's a story in there. Cause like I said, I didn't finish the whole thing. I just kind of went through it and she's gotcha. definitely, uh, an LGBT, uh, LGBT, uh, character. So, but yeah, oh, you should she, definitely check that oh, out. I didn't even know. Yes, she is. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 All right. So, uh, we have been stalling for potential clicks of the week because I actually have a couple of good candidates. Hmm. So I'll tell you the three that I am strongly considering. I am definitely considering Iron Man number nine, Strange Academy number 11 and X-Men number 21, because I actually thought that X-Men 21, uh, you know, for what ended up being kind of like a, uh, uh, just an announcement. I thought it was really well done. I thought Mm -hmm. it was really well executed. And in a close fourth, you know, it was actually Excalibur number 21 because I was just like, oh, okay, they're really going different places with this Excalibur team now. Right. Yeah, for myself, for myself I'm kind of with you on the, uh, X-Men 21 being a candidate for certain. Uh, Strange Academy also um, uh, not that big of a surprise uh, uh, potential click for me. Um, I am mad at myself for the couple of books that I did not get to read, like Magic the Gathering 3 and that uh, Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters because I got spoiled I was, say, are you up? I was about to say are you up on the Star Wars on the uh, uh, the War of the Bounty Hunter stuff I mean the, this is the first actual issue I haven't read all of the preludes including like this yeah, was, yeah. so like the this, especially with that uh, Bounty Hunters book uh, there's right. a couple of prelude, preludes that I haven't come that I haven't written I hadn't read the Afro prelude Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Right, yeah, I understand. Uh, the, 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 I got uh, not that I'm reading it that closely because I'm not reading all the crossovers. I'm just reading the main Star Wars book. Right. Um, I uh, I understand the, uh, the 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 thing getting spoiled because I did see that online. Um, mm-hmm. the, that one that one character making an appearance again. Yep. Uh, I I think I am going to go with. Strange Academy number 11, just because I had a ton of fun reading that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seriously, no, that is not nothing against Iron Man number nine, because 
I was pleasantly surprised at how uh, invested I was in reading Korvac's story from his point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, X-Men number 21, I thought, really did a good job of wrapping up this particular uh, run of X-Men with uh, by Hickman by introducing a new group of uh, X-Men during the Hellfire Gala. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, Strange Academy for, I think it's safe to say that we are both fans of uh, Strange Academy. Um in its in its run, so it wouldn't be a big of a surprise for either one of us. Uh, I think I'm actually. I was like, wait a second! It's um, it's uh, uh Chamber of Secrets. You know, uh, yeah, it sure. definitely felt Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets. I mean, yeah, kinda. It's a magic school, and you know, and lots and of involved. Well, yeah. Well, I say I hadn't. I, I'm fairly certain I have not seen Chamber of Secrets, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, you never read it either? Okay. Uh-uh. No, I haven't read any of the books, but I've seen... I feel like I've seen all of the movies. I just don't remember a, couple, a bunch of them. Like, Chamber of Secrets is the second one. Okay, so I actually watched that one. That's weird, because I don't remember it. It's the one with the big snake. I very much don't remember that then, because I, 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 like I, I have seen... I've definitely seen... I feel like I've seen the... I know I've seen the first two. I've seen the ones. I feel like I've seen them all in bits and pieces. Are do I, some evergreen Harry Potter content, folks? Uh, we don't necessarily have to. We're probably going to do some uh, some more evergreen um, Fast and the Furious content when the next movie comes out. Oh, for certain. Um, Harry Potter, you know, maybe, maybe not. And JK still a trash. Oh, but that's a whole other situation. <laughs> um. So, but anyway, uh, so that's uh, Agent 70s as we hash that out in the background. Uh, I think I'm actually going to go with X-Men 21 um, uh, for the reasons that Agent 70 said. But also, like, yeah, shout out to Strange Academy and Far Sector, which actually was a pretty, like, it was kind of a neat wrap-up but uh, to, the, to, that, to that line, but they kind of had to get, you know, but it, at least it was, it seemed like it was allowed to actually, well, kind of Maybe there could have been another issue or, or two because of the, I felt like there was something else that they were kind of going on. But nah, it, it felt natural enough in this wrap up uh, to where it feels good that it kind of ended the way it did. I tell you, I'm I'm excited to replanet size X Men now. You know, because I thought they really they 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 uh, they took care of the team intro in this book so that X, uh, so that planet size can hit the ground running, right. which is cool. So I'm excited to read that now. I'm just like, all right, so where do we go from here now that we've got the uh, the the team announced, but then we don't know what happens uh, based on the timeline of the Hellfire Gala in Marauders, the first issue. Something happens after the fireworks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we still haven't seen the rest of the evening yet. So that will play out over the course of the rest of these Hellfire Gala books. Right. And you know, we actually get, uh, uh, just pardon me for a second. Mm-hmm. If I'm, I'm not mistaken, the rest of the Hellfire Gala is going to take place over the course of June, this month. Mm-hmm. So um, so we're not going to get any more Hellfire Gala stuff in, like Children of the Atom number five, but we'll have some fallout from what happens in this issue, you know, that we discussed. So, you know, this the, the Gala stuff is going to wrap up through... X Factor number ten and Cable number eleven at the end of the month, so we'll see how that stuff uh, plays out. And apparently, Sword is a big issue uh, at the end uh, before the end of the month. Right. Okay. Sword number six. It's highlighted as red on the in the reading list. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Back of the book. So, alrighty. So that is that. We've got our clicks of the weekend. So before we move over to the news portion of the show, I am going to read an ad read. And my first ad read of the night is for Blue Apron. Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through cspn.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. Man, OBS just just wants to be. It's we still up, but OBS just just wants me to kill it tonight. I I see that because um, I couldn't get it's the not ad right, book. and it's two weeks in a row. Well, in, in this case, like the ads did not even work. I couldn't even pull up the ads, and, and I already had that set up. So I don't know. Regardless, we're going on to the cinematic news, folks. Uh, starting off with. Uh, Carlos Valdez reveals why he uh, chose to leave The Flash. Um, he pretty much says, it's been a long time coming, actually, uh, doing this kind of show with the sort of commitment that it comes with. Uh, with it, it happens very fast. And I, I think that at the time, I was in a place where I was still figuring out my life. And right around season four, I started debating uh, what the end for this character might look like. So that seed was already always there, but it didn't really start becoming a reality until much later, like uh, the end of season five, season six, where I started to become more comfortable with the idea of, oh, I think there's a good way to put it into this chapter. So, and then he goes on to praise the showrunners and showrunner and, and folks uh, with the uh, folks uh, around the, sh- the show uh, as, as one would do in that case. So, yeah. Uh, Carlos Valdez, a.k.a. Cisco Ramon, off, on the show, long time. Also, Vibe, I guess, he ended up being he ended up being a you know, long time uh, on the show. I think he's either left or he's leaving. I think he left already. Okay, yeah, Valdez's final episode of The Flash airs next Tuesday, which is... which was this week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, it was this week, so he left this week, was his last episode. Next up. Alrighty, next up, speaking to CBR, Legends of Tomorrow star Olivia Swan broke down Astra's transformation into an animated princess, uh, the team's first animated adventure. She explained how the animated sequences were a collaborative process and why Katie Lotz, who directed the episode, wanted to approach the opening montage like a romantic comedy. She shared her genuine terror of having to sing like a cartoon princess, as well as how she balanced Princess Astra with the Astra fans have come to know and love. She also teased how Astra's relationship with Constantine will continue to evolve, uh, revealed which episode she's looking forward to the most and more. So you should take a look at the spoiler-filled interview. Indeed. Uh, speaking of uh, Legends of Tomorrow uh, and Constantine, uh, Legends of Tomorrow does the unthinkable to Constantine and fixes the show. 
at the same time, I guess. So in, I think it might have been the same episode. I'm not sure. Uh, I should go back and uh, I feel like pressing too many buttons. Yep, it is. It's, it's going to have OBS give a fit again, and I really don't want that. But uh, in that same episode that's uh, um, from the last article, apparently the short straw is John Constantine loses his powers or gets drained of his powers and pretty much has to start from the bottom and work his way back up again. So kind of mirroring his uh, comic book, um, his comic book iteration. So, because I guess in, in I guess he had way more power than he than he kind of does in the comics. Um. Uh, in the in the show. So there you go. Next. Next up, HBO's Doom Patrol has wrapped up filming on the third season of the DC series. Joy Von Wade, who stars in the series as Cyborg slash Victor Stone, posted an image on his Instagram account with a trio of behind-the-scenes photos announcing that it felt like the last day of school. He added that he believes the third season to be the best they have done so far with amazing writing and performances from all involved. I am behind on Doom Patrol. I stopped watching after season one. Uh, you did better than... Well, yeah, you did better than me, because I don't even think I got halfway through season one. So, there you go. Next up... Um, it is Joe Max, though, so I should be able to catch up on it now. This is also true. Speaking of uh, streaming services, Lock and Key Season 2 gets October release and, and new images. So, fans of the Netflix adaptation of Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez's uh, Lock and Key won't have to wait too long until season two. Uh, during Netflix Geeked Week, it was announced that the show was returning in October, and there was a short video of the uh, with the cast uh, for the announcement that you can check out in the article. Next. Next up, uh, DC Entertainment's Blue Beetle film will not premiere in theaters. Uh, but will debut on HBO Max instead. According to the LA Times, Warner Brothers, which owns the comic company and all its characters, will release multiple mid-budget movies such as Batgirl and Blue Beetle on the streaming service. Its larger tent poles, Aquaman 2, The Batman, Black Adam, will remain theatrical exclusives. Which pretty much goes into, hey, these are the movies we don't have that much confidence in, so we're putting them on the service as opposed to uh, in theaters. That's kind of how that reads, uh, right? As opposed to as opposed to um, the Disney Plus Marvel strategy, which is um, giving some of these smaller stories room to grow or room to breathe. They're still pretty much doing the same thing, but yes, there there is also that. Um, uh, Gal Gadot also, uh, excuse me, Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot, excuse me, is already starting the hype for Wonder Woman three. Uh, it says, while there's little information available about Wonder Brothers and DC Films' third Wonder Woman movie, uh, franchise star Gal Gadot is already building up hype for the threequel, threequel. Uh, to commemorate the fourth anniversary of 2017's Wonder Woman. Gadot shared a clip from the film and wrote, Wonder Woman came out four years ago and changed my life. Uh, thank you all for so much love, so much for the love. I'm forever grateful for this amazing opportunity and will promise we will do everything uh, to keep and tell Wonder Woman's story in the best possible way. Love and peace. Uh, then she hashtag did uh, Wonder Woman 3. So, cool. Next. All right. So, this is some terrible news. Yes, yes it is. Terrible, terrible news. 
you know, and I wouldn't even care too much about this if I wasn't completely caught up on everything Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z right now, except for uh, GT, because I was told to not watch that because it's not canon and it doesn't matter. Um, although people like it and whatnot. But uh, this new story, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that I got this. So apparently Zack Snyder would consider directing a Dragon Ball Z movie or another live action anime adaptation should the opportunity arise so um at the 1449 mark in tyrone magnus's youtube interview with uh uh, zach snyder magnus asked snyder would you do an anime movie snyder answered uh although somewhat tentatively yeah i would consider that i mean if it came around but definitely I would do an anime remake or live action. That would be fun because I love animation and I've been watching a fair amount. I watch a ton of anime with my kids who's too young to watch it, but we watch it anyway. Uh, Magnus interrupted himself with his own answer. The first time he asked Snyder about directing a Dragon Ball Z movie and uh, yeah, just stay stay away, dude. Just seriously stay, stay away. You know, you can get this in the face. Agreed. Agreed. And some would argue that Zack Snyder has already done uh, live-action anime uh, and not well. Anywho, yeah, no, stay stay completely away from Dragon Ball and any other anime. Um, thank, please and thank you. Next up, early WandaVision scripts leaned into xenophobic story elements. Um... Zach, uh, Jacques Schaefer is still out here, probably from the same um, interview as um, the last couple of tidbits that um, news uh, news people are milking. Uh, so Schaefer explained an earlier version of WandaVision to Rolling Stone. She says, uh, in the beginning, we were thinking we would explore the issue of xenophobia, which is very present in some of the old economics. She said... Uh, so the mecha- uh, mechanism that would propel them into, into the next episode was a little bit more dramatic, also uh, cataclysmic. Um, uh, she also said there's a couple in the comics that makes their lives kind of hard. Their neighbors who don't like them because she's a robot and he's he's a robot and she's a Kovian. Uh, but in the comic, comics, she's not a Kovian, but whatever. Uh, so the world would the world would kind of fall apart and then those people would turn a little bit aggressive and WandaVision would be chased out of town. To which, yeah, I believe that did, something like that did happen in the the 12 issue miniseries. So, there you go. So yeah, that was the thing that could have happened, but it hasn't. Next. Alrighty, next up. So this is the story that Roddy Cat was referencing earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Loki obviously has returned and uh, we've seen the first episode of his series come out, and it was actually clocking in at 51 minutes. And according to the story, the second episode will clock in at 54 minutes. And we find out that Loki is going to consist of six total episodes. Mm-hmm. So we've got five more to go. And based upon previous experience with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which had roughly the same uh, running time of uh, 49 or 50 minutes, um, that seems to be um, the, the range. So we're probably going to get uh, somewhere between 49 and, and, and 60 minutes worth of story for um, Loki, whereas uh, WandaVision ranged anywhere between 30 minutes and 50 minutes, but that was partially, that was in part uh, due to 
the sitcom inspired storytelling from the first couple of uh, episodes. So uh, those tended to run closer to the half hour mark. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, uh, you know, I respectfully disagree. I think that uh, uh, with I, I respectfully disagree with Roddy Cat's point. I, you know, I think that um, uh, moving some of these stories to streaming, at least from Disney's point of view, I think uh, – you know, part of it is, you know, there's always a glut of, of uh, Marvel movies. They only tend to put out three a year, you know, at pe- you know in their peak. So I think uh, this this definitely helps with their storytelling uh, on Disney Plus and giving people a reason to uh, sign up in addition to being able to watch the old stuff. Yeah. I mean, look, sure. Yes, there are. Yes, there are stories that they very much can lend themselves to to uh, to to this kind of uh, way they're handling this. Um, some of which may or may not need to. Some would argue Loki may or may not need to, but also those fans, those those people are probably fans of Loki and be like, no, this definitely needs to happen. Um, and I'm not saying I'm one way to other on that part, but yeah, it is. It's it, it's a thing that kind of comes up uh, in this because I because I feel that you're right. They're definitely sheltering those movies, those kind of you know movies that they don't expect to see too much at the box office and, mm-hmm. and putting them on HBO max. That's almost, that's almost obvious, mm-hmm. but you know, because there, there's no plan, you know, there's no plan to it. It's like, Oh, you know what? These ones that we don't have faith in, that's our plan. We're going to put them on H- on HBO max. Right. But I kind of feel like that's, that's kind of what Disney plus is doing with somebody. So like, I know you said you don't, you don't agree, but I, and it may not be the case. Um, like it could be what you said, and just like they're just using this opportunity to kind of to, to to build them out a little bit more. And and if that is the case, that's great. But it also feels like like nah, they don't want to, they don't even want to put them as a, they don't even make want to make them into a movie, such so as just shuttering them to to to, uh, to shows like this. Um, at least that was the initial. Uh, let's let's say we're like Obi Wan or stuff like that. That's kind of the initial thought about that from from some places. But regardless. I'm happy to see him, uh, regardless of how that's the case. Like whether we end up beginning the fact that like some of these just could have been movies or whatever the case may be, only time will tell. Uh, Disney Plus uh, free trials returns for Xbox Game Plus Ultimate subscribers. So hey, if you got an Xbox and you don't already have, uh, well, if you have a Xbox Game Pass Ultimate then you may or may not be able to take advantage of this. So I think it is a free 30-day trial um, if you have to um, for, to uh, Disney Plus if you have uh, Xbox Live, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. And at this point, you probably should, um, whether you buy games a lot or don't, specifically if you don't. But that's neither here nor there, and that could also be consumed as uh, subjective. But it's a pretty good value for for what it is. Uh, so yes, existing uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscribers may remember that until January it was possible to claim 30 day trial of Disney Plus, but now that um, offer has returned. And even if you took advantage of the trial last time, it is possible to do so again, just not using the same Disney Plus account, which that's not a surprise. Um. Uh, let's see. So yeah, you can go through it. I don't know how long it's gonna last, but usually that's like they'll keep that up there for like a couple of months. So take advantage of that if you can, if you if you haven't already. Next up, 
Next up, so after months of speculation, Tom Hiddleston confirmed that Loki will not appear in Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, you know, they basically he basically says they've explored as much as uh, they can about these two brothers. Speaking of uh, referring to Thor and Loki, which yeah, kind of makes sense. Like at the end of the right, well, and at some point in Ragnarok, Rag- Rag- we kind of got to that point. Yeah, pretty much. And pretty then, much. And right, and then exactly, and then we get to Infinity War, and that's that. So right. Or wait, was it was it Infinity War? Or was it Endgame? No, Infinity War. Okay, I don't know. I always confused at the too. beginning. At the beginning of Infinity War, remember that's where right, he that's, kills Loki. Right. So there you go. Um, next. When I say up. Thanos, huh? Yes. I said when I said he, I mean Thanos, and I swear to God, if I hear somebody else call him Thanos. It's Thanos. Wait, who's doing that? I'm just saying, there's people out there that say Thanos. Huh, weird. Um, Tom Hiddleston shares the uh, amusingly underwhelming Loki prop he stole from the set. Uh, so apparently he was on Jimmy Kimmel, um, Agent 70's favorite. Um, what? <laughs> actually, I think it's Jimmy Fallon that you don't like, but that's beside the point. Oh, <laughs> God. But, um... Uh, Jimmy, uh, excuse me, uh, Tom Hiddleston appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live to talk about his fondest, uh, fondest Marvel memories, including the first time he met Chris Hem- Hemsworth. Uh, he says, my first thought was, oh, they cast the right actor. And the fact that he spent both his 30th and 40th birthdays on set playing the same character. I'm assuming they're talking about Hiddleston on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, he also shared the souvenir he managed to pinch from the Lucky set, but spoiler alert, it's not as quite as impressive as the massive hammer Chris Hemsworth has in his house. Uh, apparently, he stole a scarf. Uh, Loki comes down to visit Thor in the first movie, and he's wearing this scarf, uh, says Hiddleston. After dashing off to fetch said scarf from somewhere off camera, that's all I got. There you go. So... If you have your Tom Hiddleston as uh, Doctor Who dreams, you can go ahead and chalk that one up as another part of that. Next up. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't snatch something from this Loki uh, set, this Loki show. Right. That's what it made it sound like, but no, apparently not. Um, This was off of of Thor, which I guess also, well, actually, hmm. Did that scarf show up in, in Loki in this episode? I think it might have. Maybe that's probably... Or and maybe the... Oh, wait. Because I think... Because remember the part where they were st- the Avengers were taking him away in the elevator? Because they pretty much added to that scene. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe that scarf was there. Or it was the scarf that he had when he was... Um, when he was uh, taken out of the apple. I don't know. Regardless... I'm the, not gonna, I'm, now I'm going to go look. But in any event, the yeah, next really. story... Uh, 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 talks about how uh, Kevin Feige um, uh, discussed an abandoned Loki project. So, before this upcoming, before this current series, Loki almost took a trip to the seventies for a disco-fueled short. During a press conference for the premiere of Loki on Disney Plus, uh, Kevin Feige. I, I love how these articles say Marvel Studios head. All I have to say is Kevin Feige talked about an idea for the trickster that never became a reality. Uh, there were ideas for a short film going back almost a decade for Loki in the 70s, like running a Studio 54 in the 70s. Um, he thinks there was some concept art of him on a horse. Thankfully, thanks to Michael Waldron and Kate Heron, uh, the show became infinitely more interesting than that, and the time periods are almost secondary to the story itself. That's cool. 
Yeah, I mean, they probably could have alluded to it in an in a upcoming episode or something, but they probably wouldn't. So, yeah, nice. Uh, Shang-Chi star Simu Liu debunked a major Marvel rumor. Uh, Simu Liu has debunked... Uh, so Liu spoke with uh, NBC about the film and Asian representation and spelled speculation that Fen Fang Foom would be making his MCU debut. Uh, the report reads, it also helps, uh, Liu say, said, that some questionable elements from the source material, like the shape-shifting dragon-like being puzzlingly named Fin Fin Fum, does not make an appearance in the movie. Um, and this article goes on to say that fans were theorizing that, the, that um, excuse me, that merchandise was teasing the fact that Fin Fin Fum was going to be, uh, well, excuse me, Merchandise teased that that there was including a dragon, and people instantly went to Fin Fan Foom, which is just so fun to say, really. Um, And uh, saying that more basically, toys are giving people thoughts of what it was in uh, Simu Liu. It was like, nah, this is is not the case. So, there you go. Next. Next. Up, so Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn has begun drawing storyboards for the franchise's next installment, and the world knows this because of a tweet regarding the shape of Rocket's face. Fellow director and actor Alexander Vlahos tweeted Monday, Kurt Russell calling Rocket a triangle-faced monkey is the single greatest line in cinema history, and I will be taking no further questions at this time. Thank you, at James Gunn. In response, Gunn acknowledged he had begun storyboarding for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That's good. Sure. Uh, WandaVision's uh, Elizabeth Olsen finishes shooting Doctor Strange 2, apparently. Uh, she was talking with uh, flight, the flight attendant and Big Bang Theory star uh, Kelly Kuko, who interviewed each other for Variety's Actors on Actors series. Uh, after Kuko expressed her love for WandaVision, she asked what Olsen was working on currently. Um, and Olsen says, uh, I just finished Doctor Strange 2. Uh, I wrapped WandaVision in October on a Wednesday, and then they, and they flew me out to London on a Friday. Oh, wow. That's a while. She's there for a while. Mm-hmm. So, and then, then it kind of goes on to kind of repeat that, but also says, you know, um, how she found out about Doctor Strange 2 during the course of, or at the end of uh, WandaVision. So, there you go. Next. All right. I don't know if I want to read this because I stayed away from this... Um, <laughs> story because I didn't want any more spoilers. So Black Widow actor Rachel Weiss confirmed her character's official name and occupation in a new interview with, uh, again, Jimmy Kimmel. Weiss was more or less forced to confirm her character's full name after Kimmel introduced her on a new episode of Jimmy Kimmel Live as the actor portraying, quote, Melina Vostokov, unquote. I don't know if she was forced, but it sounded like she was pretty loosest-lipped, and uh, you know, from what this article was saying, that she they, they gave her a list of things to say and not to say, and that she promptly lost, and she ended up spoiling a couple of things. Jeez, man, where's the red dot? You know, the red dot didn't light up on her chest or her forehead all of a sudden? It's, it's, it's Rachel Weiss. I don't think they're going to give her, give her too, too much slack. But uh, some news that um, Agent 70 pulled uh, right before the show. We have a report <clears throat> Excuse me, saying that She-Hulk may have cast uh, Jamila Jamil as a classic Marvel villain. So if you know uh, Jamila Jamil from The Good Place, then you know you already know what she looks like. Uh, but she's reported been, b- reportedly 
has been cast as the as Titania. Um, and apparently this is a report from the Illuminati. So again, take this with a grain of salt. The, the smallest grain of salt you could possibly do. Uh, but, you know. But it was, I was about to say, but this was relayed to us by our very own at TimDog98 over sure. at CBR. Well, yeah, but I mean, even with that, it doesn't... It's the main source, right, the main source of the story is from Illuminati. Exactly. Um, so, the site you previously reported that a supporting role of Lucy was described as a Kardashian-esque, a Kardashian-esque social media influence in her 30s with a dark side. This role is now being reported to be for Titania. So, I wonder if we're going to get Crusher Creel in there. I doubt it, but... Yeah. Regardless... That's that. Next up. Next up. So the Spider-Verse is expanding. Issa Rae has joined the voice cast of the upcoming sequel to 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in the role of Jessica Drew, also known as Spider-Woman per The Hollywood Reporter. Ray's attachment to the Spider-Verse sequel marks the first official new addition to the production's voice cast. Shamik Moore and Haley Steinfeld have both been confirmed to reprise their roles of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen, respectively. The sequel is slated to hit theaters on October 7th, 2022. Hey. Um, I have a friend that was in the chat for a second who had not seen Spider-Verse, and I'm kind of looking forward to watching that with them if they still, if they actually wanted to do that, but I don't know. Um, I don't know, like, I'm down for it. I love, I love Issa Rae. Jessica Drew, of course, was as it was a very likely choice to have been in the second movie. Surprise, she wasn't in the first, actually. But we also had Spider-Gwen, so that makes also some sense, in a way. I was about to say, they had so many yeah. of the Spider-Verse characters. Yeah. You know, yeah. Spider. I was about to say, Spider-Woman doesn't necessarily play the biggest role in the original Spider-Verse. Not that they were really basing it on that. Right, and that's uh-huh. another thing I was going to actually mention, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it makes double sense on that. Also, like, well... While Jessica's kind of initial background is British, they don't, they have never really played that up in any kind of sense anywhere, with the exception of not, the comics. And, not at and all. And that's only loosely. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, you know, so it is what it is on that. Like, hey, I think he's, you know, I'm fine with this. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Next that's up. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Next up. Uh, spectacular. Actually, you should have had this one. Uh, spectacular Spider-Man voice actor is hoping for a Spider-Verse two role. Because uh, if you've known anything about uh, uh anything on the show, uh, Agent Seventy is the the spectacular Spider-Man fan amongst us. Absolutely, it's a good show. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've enjoyed what I've watched of it, but like I, said, I I can't sit here and say that I'm as big a fan, and I've not finished it. Also, as big a fan uh, of it as in, but I think this dude has done other stuff. Regardless, regardless, another animated Spider-Man has been throwing his head into the ring for an appearance in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Two. Josh Keaton, who voiced the web slinger in uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, spectacular, spectacular, you got to say that. Um, mm-hmm. Tweeted that he'd like to appear in the Spider-Verse sequel. Uh, fingers crossed I get some good news, but I'm used to the Parker luck by now. Boom, boom. Uh, Keaton wrote. So, because, oh yeah, so I guess because he was responding to uh, the report that uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes, the 90s uh, Spider-Man, uh, may or may not have a, ver- uh, a part in Spider-Verse 2. And again, that was just a report that I don't think's been confirmed. So, next up. 
Next up, Avengers Campus is officially open for business at Disneyland, uh, and some of Marvel's biggest stars have gotten the chance to visit the attraction. Uh, an opening event included Ant-Man star Paul Rudd and the newly minted Captain America, Anthony Mackie. Captain Marvel star Brie Larson revealed she, too, uh, has been to the new theme park. In social media posts over the weekend, Larson shared a pair of pictures of her smiling outside one of the park's attractions. Visit the Avengers campus, she tweeted by adding a green checkmark uh, emoji. So excited for you all to see the campus now open at Disney California Adventure. Hashtag Disney California Adventure at Disneyland. I saw hashtag editing, folks. Um, I say that because I think I um, might have had a um, an episode go out with a typo. Um, or it was cut off one or two. Regardless, hey, speaking of uh, Brie Larson, Scott Pilgrim versus the world's full soundtrack is finally coming to streaming. So, hello again, friend of a friend. Um... And I believe that is the first single that uh, Black Sheep that is going to be on streaming services ahead of the rest of the an extended version of the soundtrack, according to this. So, let's see. Um, yeah, when the 22-song uh, original soundtrack was released in 2010, Metric's original recording was the only version included, which is, uh, as this article says, is fantastic, but uh, apparently... Uh, this new version that's going to be on streaming service is going to be 31 tracks, uh, expanded version with a couple of bonus songs uh, by in-movie band Sex Bob-omb, several acoustic demos by Beck, who helped write this movie's songs, and more. Uh, and I believe, uh, yeah, it says here, Black Sheep uh, the song is uh, available now, and the full soundtrack is going to be out on streaming services on July 9th. So... If you enjoyed that um, the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack, and I don't know why you wouldn't, it's uh, look forward to that. Next, next up, the cast of The Matrix Four is still growing with the addition of Christina Ricci just revealed. Ricci's involvement in the movie, which follows the original sci-fi trilogy and currently does not have an official title, was revealed in a Warner Brothers press kit, according to Collider. The character that she will play is also not yet known. Yay. Um, so basically Wednesday Adams is going to be a part of the Matrix. Um, maybe she's the one who's going to take down the Matrix, like uh Adam's family ad family values values, I don't know. Special Episodes 30 for 30 parody debuts Zendaya as Lola Bunny. Uh did you watch this? No. no. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, so I saw this a couple of days ago, and I didn't get a chance to watch it. So apparently ESPN did a uh, parody 30 for 30 um, with LeBron and Bugs and a, a few other people, I think. Uh, it's titled The Bunny and the Goat. <laughs> the ad operates uh, as a parody of ESPN's popular 30 for 30 documentary series, not unlike a similar promotional video made for Cobra Kai back in 2019, according to this article. Uh, in addition to airing on ESPN, the new Space Jam ad is currently streaming on YouTube. Uh, amongst other things, the mockumentary explains why LeBron James uh, ended up in another dimension alongside the Looney Tunes in the first place. And, um, uh, oh, 
Zendaya part about this, I guess uh, her Lola Bunny character comes in and says, it's so cute to watch them bicker when everyone knows this is Lola's team. Um, so, yeah, it makes it sound like LeBron had to save us with the best teammates he's ever had, you know, and this is other things that Lola Bunny has said uh, during the course of that thing. Uh, so, yeah, you check that out if you're so uh, interested. Next. Next up. Uh... <coughs> Uh-oh. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. To celebrate Ghostbusters Day and the anniversary of the film's release, director Ivan Reitman and star Bill Murray posted a short message <coughs> on social media. The greeting was shared on the on the. <coughs> Take this one for a second. Yeah, please. I'll do that. Sure. Um, yeah, the greeting was shared on the official Ghostbusters Twitter account. Uh, Ghostbusters Day is this a national thing? What does it mean, Ghostbusters Day, Murray asks. Uh, declared by the president, I think. Reitman jokingly responds. And you can see the tweet um, that, of that video uh, in the article. You know, so Ghostbusters Day was released on June 8th, 37 years ago. And that's why uh, 30, uh, Ghostbusters Day was a, ended up being a kind of sort of thing. Next. Um, I'll go ahead and take this and give you a little bit more of a second. Uh, 90s Fatal Fury anime is getting a spanking new Blu-ray release. Um, so two classic TV specials based on Instant K's legendary fighting franchise will be getting a long overdue remaster, uh, courtesy of publisher Discotech Media. The upcoming Blu-ray will include both 1992's Fatal Fury Legend of the Hungry Wolf and its 1993 follow-up Fatal Fury 2 The New Battle. Uh, beautifully scanned from an original uh, film negative, both specials will be presented in glorious 1080p and will feature their English and Japanese voice track options as well as the brand new fully corrected subtitles. Um, I can safely say as a person who has uh, both those in a thing that's not in Blu-ray collection, they're not if they're not great anime, they're good if you like Fatal Fury. Or just a fan of, like, um, you know, um, video game to, to anime translations. It's amusing. That's all I'll say. Next up. Next up, It Actor. I almost read that as IT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it Actor. I was like, I'm like, what IT? Like, information technology actor? Well, no, and It also, Actor. And it also, it sounds like IT Crowd, which is was just a show. If, I don't know if you know it or not, but yeah, so I, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, just 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 for a second, I'm like, what? Uh, it actor Bill Skarsgård is being targeted for John Wick Chapter Four. Skarsgård, who's best known for playing the child eating Pennywise in the It movies, is in talks to star opposite Keanu Reeves in the film reported Collider. It's speculated, though not confirmed, the actor could be up to play the movie's villain, given his history of portraying literal monsters on the big screen. Okay. He's, is he one of those scars guards? I have no idea. Yeah. To the Googles. <laughs> All right. While you're looking that up, um, some sad news. Uh, Clarence Williams, this is not necessarily um, comic book related, but I, I, uh, nevertheless... Uh, Clarence Williams III, Link from the Mod Squad, as uh, most of us know him, if you're of a certain vintage, um, has passed at the age of 81. Uh, Clarence Williams III, who was a black power icon in the 60s and 70s, as uh, Link Hayes on the, the, the Mod Squad, has died. Um, 
in Los Angeles on June 4th of colon cancer, according to his manager. Uh, you may or may not know Clarence Williams III in his uh, in other roles, uh, such as Purple Rain, 52 Pickup, Reindeer Games, and Tales from the Hood, most notably to some folks. Uh, and Purple Rain, uh, like I already said. Um, he was also in Sugar Hill, and he played Jelly Roll Morton in The, the Legend of 1900. Um, oh, right. He was also in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and, and Half-Baked. I'm gonna get you, sucker. <laughs> Which I kind of want to watch again because I feel like that's. I'm glad. Actually, I'm glad I'm here because yeah, me and this the same as the other friend that I um that I mentioned earlier was gonna rewatch that at some point. Uh, I I went to see that in the movie theater. I think I did too. I went to see that in the movie. That was like a mid '90s thing, wasn't it? Or it was like a or like a like yeah. a summer '93, summer '94, something like that. Something. Well, because I remember. I went to see it with, and that tracks. It says 88. 95? No, I'm going to get you. It says on the article, it says 88. Wait, 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 wait. I'm thinking of the wrong movie. Oh, you think I'm thinking of Every Wayans. Um... Oh, Don't Drink Your Juice in the Hood? No. Because no. that would be the one that would have come no, out no, in the 90s. A different, I'm of a different, no, 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 no. Now, now I'm gonna use <laughs> use a different Google search while I recount everybody. Uh, while I recount to everybody what uh, I came up with, Bill Skarsgård is in fact one of those Skarsgårds, as Roddy Cap put it. He is um, the son of actor Stellan Skarsgård. Oh, okay. And is a sibling of Alexander Skarsgård, Gustav Skarsgård, Walter Skarsgård, who are all actors. Right. Stellan. A bunch of brothers and sisters from a later marriage between Stellan Skarsgård and wow. Right. And Stellan was in, um, Stellan is, uh, um, from, uh, Avengers and Thor. Exactly. I was about to say that's, um, I couldn't remember his character's name. Uh, uh what's my call? Eric. Uh, Dr. Um, Eric something. Eric Selvig. Selvig. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah, Eric Selvig. Now, 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 I'm annoyed that I am misremembering this Keenan Ivory Wayans movie. <laughs> well, why you're? Uh, well, actually, this, uh, this next one is you anyway. Oh no, no, no! He was in. Wait, sorry, no. It was the sequel, I think. To I'm going to get you, sucker. There was a, sequel, a low doctor shame. That wasn't a sequel, but yes, okay, sure. I got you. Wasn't it? Was wasn't it shame? Was, it was Keenan Ivory Wayans uh, as a, it was, had nothing to do with uh, I'm going to get you, sucker. But he was oh, playing okay. a different de- de- detective, basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 That I remember. You know, I, I couldn't remember if it was a continuation of yeah. the characters in there. Nah, he, it was kind of he was. It was still him trying to be like a Shaft type, uh, or more like an Ashley right. Jackson type, actually. In in uh, Low Down Dirty Shame, whereas, um, whereas I'm gonna get sucker sucker was kind of him kind of doing a Shaft type thing, sort of. Gotcha. 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 Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I, like, I, I went to see a low down dirty shame in the theaters. Oh, I think my I'm fairly certain I did too, actually. So I think I seen, saw that, both of those in the movie theater. Now that I think about it, so no, I don't think I saw. I'm gonna get you stuck on the in the theater. I definitely saw that on television. Yeah, like yeah, I pretty much. I'm fairly certain I did, and I definitely know I saw low down dirty shame because I think I went with like family. Um, at any rate, the 
This one's all right. I got the last. Yeah, I got the last story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix has announced that the long-awaited live-action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop will premiere this fall. The science fiction noir and western-infused bounty hunting series will also feature new music from the anime's original composer Yoko Kano. There was unfortunately no trailer available alongside. Um, Netflix's announcement, but it did reintroduce a few of the cast members who already seem to be fitting into their roles quite well, specifically John Cho as Spike Spiegel, Mustafa Shakir as Jet Black, and Daniela Pineda as Faye Valentine. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to bump my um, Cowboy Bebop watch up a little bit so that I can watch mm-hmm. this before uh, the live adaptation I mean, uh, comes out in the fall. You still got a while, but yes, I think you should. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done with uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, so uh, I'm gonna reshuffle my list. Right. Um. Oh wait, did you finish Jujutsu Kaisen or no? No, 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 no. I, I, I just said I'm almost finished oh, with Jujutsu okay. Kaisen. You know, I, I wrapped, I, I wrapped uh, Demon Slayer already. Right. So I am working on Jujutsu Kaisen, and um. After that, like I said, reshuffling my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just finished uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, and I'm probably going to go the opposite way and go back and do. Um, I'm going to the opposite way of you and go back and do Demon Slayer um, before I hit Dragon Ball. So you watched Demon Slayer, or you haven't? I have not. I haven't watched any of it. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it's only one season, though, so yeah. it's not so bad. Yeah. It's well, before it. you go back to watch Super, right? Yeah, there's a lot of Super, so I don't yeah, blame no. you. And I just realized where I was in Super, like I like I told you uh, behind the scenes. But yeah, it's so yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more. Yeah. Yep. All right. So now we're going to transition over into the comic book news. Transition. So I'm like um, a little behind the scenes. I'm actually been working on either sourcing or trying to do some some transitions. Um, haven't been working out well, but it's, it's, it's a work in progress. Might have to outsource it. We don't know. Um, regardless, the MCU's strongest melter is not adamantium or vibranium, apparently, according to this article, which is crucial. Um, so for years, there's been a debate within the Marvel fandom about which unbreakable metal is stronger, adamantium or vibranium. I feel like we can safely say it's... I was about to say adamantium is stronger. Exactly. I was like, I'm not sure. Like, vibranium is pretty tough, but you can... But it still has its limits. And since adamantium, if I'm not mistaken, is made from vibranium... Well, no, 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 it's not. I thought uh, it was. um, Adamantium is, uh, is is an alloy that was concocted because they were trying to recreate the steel vibranium alloy that made up Captain America's shield. Right. That was like the final retcon that they did. So, Because remember, a lot of people were writing that uh, Cap Shield was a combina- combination of adamantium or vibranium. Right. But adamantium comes after the metallurgical accident that produces Captain America's shield. Okay, yeah, because I've I've always thought it was like no, it was there was some vibranium in that mix, and which is so, and yeah, maybe they did do, or they probably did do the thing. I don't remember. Comic history is weird. Uh, right. See, it depends. It all depends on uh, where you were and and how much reading you were doing. When I want to say, uh, Kurt Busiek finally um, finally settled it. Mm-hmm. In the in the mid in the mid to late nineties, 
So okay, well, there's that then, because yeah, as you as you know, I kind of backed off on reading a lot during the '90s. So exactly. Um, so if you stepped away from comics like mid '90s, early 2000s, then I think that's when Busek kind of settled that particular retcon. Hmm. So. So all right. Well, going into this though, um, it doesn't matter because there's already, according to this article, there's already a metal that exists in films and comics that is mightier than both Darkonite. Um, I've rarely ever heard of Darkonite. I feel like there's been a recent, um, recent mention of it, and that's probably why this article is there. But uh, if you've never heard of Darkonite, you're not alone. This rarely mentioned metal is less widely used than its two more popular cousins but is already proved in the mainstream comics to be stronger than adamantium, and it may have already made its presence felt in the MCU. Uh, it goes on to the backstory, back history of um, Darkonite, uh, including going back to an, old, an old OG Guardians of the Galaxy story, and we're talking the, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3000 crew and not the crew that most folks know now. Uh, let's see, it says Darkonite is able to pierce adamantium, but little else is known by it. Um, because it's named after alternate universe Thor, it's also possible that the alloy utilizes the same Uru metal used to forge Mjolnir and Stormbreaker. Um, oh, okay, so here's where this comes in. Uh, it's possible that Darkonite may have... So this is a speculation piece. Uh, has already appeared in the MCU because Thanos' uh, sword uh, um, uh, messed up Cap's shield. Uh, let's see, yeah, Thanos and his Black Order pierce and um, obliterate vibranium. Uh, the first instance of this in the Infinity War where Clovis Glade's weapon impales Vision's body. Um, although that might not be initially seem like a big deal, it's important to consider that Ultron made Vision's body out of vibranium. Or these are super, way superhumanly strong <laughs> uh, aliens whose earthly metals are probably a little match for. Tomato, mm-hmm. tomato. Next up. Okay, so I'm looking at this headline of potential spoilers for what Spider-Man Sinister War uh, may restore. And eh. So the upcoming Sinister War will drag Dr. Octopus into the heat of battle and potentially set up the return of the superior Spider-Man. So this is a bit of a think piece. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of a reach based on what the issue presented that we talked about earlier. Exactly. 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 Or, you know, it's, de- it's, a, it's definitely a think piece on behalf of this writer who is trying to come up with uh, possible future the- you know, theories on, on possible future storylines because of... Um, uh, uh, you know what is uh, portrayed, you know in uh, you know in in the head of one uh, Otto Octavius. So we'll right. just leave it at that. And I and I said this issue is actually the last issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. This one. So and where we're exactly stuff we, we just had sixty-eight. So this was for sixty-seven. Right. Um, well, this is so. This is pretty much uh, we we kind of glossed over this earlier. But Ed Brisson joins uh, Amazing Spider-Man writing team in last-minute change. And that was for this issue that we spoke about earlier, which was 68. Um, The publisher hasn't made an affordable announcement, but Brisson's co-writing credit was included on advanced preview of Amazing Spider-Man 68. Sent out the press over the weekend, and we can confirm now that the issue is already out. It is definitely still on there. Oh, he's definitely still involved in that somehow, some way. Uh, So this is confirmed that this isn't a one-off assignment. 
and Brisson will be co-writing Amazing Spider-Man with longtime series writer Nick Spencer for the immediate future. Um, uh, and it mentions uh, this week's uh, 68. And, uh, yeah. So, there you go. Oh, yeah. Similarly, the announced artist of uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 68 uh, was also... Um, uh, Marcelo Ferreira was also new uh, to the creative team. So, next. So here are the, here is the spoiler for the latest issue of um, of uh, War of the Bounty Hunters. Yeah, and uh, you know I, I'm just going to, to skirt around it and not reveal the spoiler. Spoiler alert! If you're watching the video, you've already been spoiled. Spoiled. Sorry. All right. So you know. Uh, uh, you know, so, something has happened to uh, the carbonite frozen body of Han Solo while Boba Fett has been uh, is trying to uh, bring it back to one job of the hut. And, uh, you know, someone has stolen it. And uh, we find out in this latest issue who has stolen Han Solo. Yes, someone from his past from a movie. That exactly. Be, from folks that maybe some would say the best part of that movie. I don't know. I don't. I can't agree or disagree on that one. I can't actually fully agree either because they really didn't do too much with that character. Anyway, um, uh, something we also alluded to earlier uh, when we we're talking about X Men. Kevin Feige meets the X Men in New Marvel comic. So we already said that Kevin Feige was uh, showed up in uh, X Men Twenty One. That is absolutely true. But I want to say this article pretty much confirms some of the folks that we do also see in this issue. Um, oh, and there was one that we forgot about, I think. Because we mentioned Eminem, we mentioned Math, we mentioned George R.R. R. Martin, we mentioned Pat Oswalt, and Meredith Salinger, which I believe is his wife. Um, and Oh, yeah, I forgot, and totally forgot, because I had it in my notes. Conan O'Brien appears in uh, Excalibur number 21. Uh, but the That's also, actually his second appearance. Is it? Yeah, because well, he actually appears in the page where Lorraine Sink, James Monroe, Eichelhart, and Ryan Panagos are, as well as no, 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 not that page. No, in the page with Sue Bird and um, and uh, oh, what's the soccer player's name? Oh, 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 oh. Um, I can't believe I forgot her name. It's just yeah, it, it's literally. Huh. No, it was last week. No, that's what I said. You said it last week. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but wait, so Conan's in Excalibur too? Uh huh. Yeah, I did pick that up. Right, what page? Mm-hmm. I'm curious now. Yeah, you you, you oh you uh, yeah. It's I can't remember what page is on, but I definitely remember seeing him on the panel. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, but also Mark Marin shows up um, in in um, in in X Men Twenty One. All right, I'm gonna have to pull up this uh, this article I and s- go back later. And the reason why and I pulled. Check- yeah, the only reason why I pulled this article also was, well, one, I knew we were going to get to it, so I figured we were going to get the, the Feige thing all the way, but I was hoping there was going to be a more of a, I was actually looking for a who were all the celebrities that shows up at the gala. Right. Because there's some of those folks I have no idea who we were, or a couple of folks we have no idea. Because even there was even one other person, I think it was either Excalibur or... As a matter of fact, the same panel that Conan shows up in, if I'm not mistaken, there's another person who is probably somebody that I don't know who exactly it is. Because there's a a, a black lady that shows up, and I think that's supposed to be somebody, but I don't know who it is. 
Okay. I was about to say, my hope is that we get an article with all these Easter eggs at the end of the Hellfire Gala. Well, and it's pretty much over with, so that could be any, that could be. No, no, at the end of the Hellfire Gala stories, at the end of the month. Remember we were talking about, I'm hoping we get an article. Oh, you said when, yeah, when all of it's done, I got you. Exactly. I'm like, well, the the, the gala itself technically is done. You know, like as of Marauders, all of these stories are going to have these um, cameo appearances drawn in. Right. So, you know, uh, so as we as we start to see them process, as we start to see them uh, make their way through the month, we'll see the rest of them. So, yeah. All right. But you Uh, know how news cycles go. They're going to try to, you know, get it out as fast as they can. Yeah. But next up. So next up, so this is these are spoilers for Immortal Hulk number forty seven, which came out last week, and I thought this was a little bit harsh, where uh, Captain America kind of uh, reveals, so supposedly reveals the truth about the Hulk's powers, but it, you know, I kind of read this more along the lines of, um, you know, uh, the narration from She Hulk, where you know it seems like the Gamma seems to have this effect on on, on people who are trying to talk to the Hulk. And, you know, make them want to throw hands as opposed to try to negotiate or try to talk them down. And, you know, basically Cap says that, uh, uh, you know, the Hulk wrecks lives and, you know, basically points to the fact that uh, that uh, that reporter Jackie McGee, you know, seems to have been affected as well. And mm-hmm. saying that it's a tough call, but he has to but Cap has to help to contain him. I'm like, OK, but I remember reading that thinking, well, that's a little harsh. Right. So, yeah, I you know what I totally forgot to read this actually, um, and I still have it in my forty uh, seven. Yeah, I know it came out last week, but I totally forgot to read it. Oh, my bad, dude. No, no, you're good. You're good. I actually barely paid attention to what you said. <laughs> good. So, and I saw this article. And I, like I didn't even really read the article, so I'm I'm still good on whatever it is. Um, Marvel fan builds amazing functional Sam Wilson Captain America wings, apparently. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Greg Enriquez uh, recently shared a TikTok showing off his homemade Captain America wings and shield. Set to the Avengers theme, the, the clip shows him extend the wings and detach the shield. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, check it out below, which I'm going to click. Sorry about that, folks. That's loud. So yeah, you can kind of see that there from that clip. But you can also check it out in the um, uh, in the show notes. That's actually functioning in the sense that they expand, but yes. not flood and fly. Of course. Well, and it's not also you know it's it's a I would imagine it's probably still a work in progress because it's still not like a one to one to it. But it's, look, they function. They 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 extend. They they you pull it. He's about to pull the uh, the shield from the back of it. Um, so it is functional in that sense, <laughs> as you said, in a limited sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, All it's right. good for cosplay purposes. That's for, that's, that's, that is the, um, you know, that is the functionality. All right. Next up, Hasbro launched a new Marvel legends, legends five pack that includes everyone's favorite pint sized X-Men character, Wolverine and four of the characters, biggest rivals. the, the box, the five pack, uh, includes Wolverine, Marvel's Omega Red in a repaint, uh, Marvel Cyber, which is new, Marvel's Callisto, which is also new, and Jason Wingard of the Hellfire Club. I'm probably going to end up getting this. Mm. Um, I didn't pre-order it yet. Um, can't get it on Amazon. 
Um, so I'll see, you know, how that goes the closer we get to its actual release. But um, I still have need of an Omega Red. Mm-hmm. And it's old school. And it'd be style. nice to get a Callisto. Yeah. So. And Jason Wingard, you know, just add another person to the Hellfire Club I've already got. So. Sure. Uh, and um, wait, is this Leland? No. Jason Wingard is Mastermind. Yeah, no. But no, I'm talking about the bottom. Because there's an... Because... No, there's five, ga- there's five characters. There's Wolverine, Omega Red, mm-hmm. Cyber, Callisto, and Wingard. Wingard is the uh, the character here, and that's Mastermind. He has uh, two heads. The two heads that he's got are the Mastermind head and the head that he fools Jean Grey into thinking is um, some aristocrat oh. that, he, that she falls in love with during Dark Phoenix. Oh, right, right. No, yeah, the, the bottom one is definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, okay, okay. Remember, Harry Leland is a fat guy. Right, 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 right. Okay, I'm with you now. All right, cool. Still doesn't matter, but still cool. I would, yeah, I would probably pick up that Callisto. Um, yeah, it sucks that you know of of the set. I really don't need the Wolverine. I don't really care for Cyber, right. you know. But to get three out of five, you know. <laughs> I don't, you know, that's why, that's why I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of playing the wait and see approach with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Next up though. Um, wait, do we get a price? $120. Okay. Eh, eh. And December 15th. Sure. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Which actually reminds me, I need to put in an order for that. She Hulk, uh, which I think is in August. Um, Marvel announces official multiverse, uh, Marvel multiverses tabletop role playing game. Uh, Marvel announces plans to launch a new tabletop role playing system based on the publisher's iconic superhero universe. The Marvel multiverse role playing game will allow fans to insert themselves into Marvel's constantly gl- growing multiverse of characters and stories. Um, the official playtest rulebook is currently slated to arrive in 2022. And will include detailed instructions on the game's mechanics, setting, uh, and playable characters. Players will be able to take on the roles of their favorite heroes or create entirely new ones as they battle against any number of recognizable superheroes. Uh, see, it will make use of an all-new D616 system. Ha ha, ha ha ha. Mm. Um, a reference to Earth 616. Which and probably will actually use a uh, six-sided die more likely. We don't know, but the universe uh, that uh, features most of the Marvel's mainline continuity. The system has been designed and with accessibility in mind. With Marvel mentioning that it will be easy to learn for new customers and a quote-unquote natural evolution for those familiar with the most popular tabletop role-playing games on the market, aka Dungeons and Dragons the E5. <laughs> Let's let's not let's not let's not We know what you're talking about. Um see Marvel Elaborator on some of the mechanics players who may encounter on a D six one six system, teasing use might, agility, resilience, vigilance, ego, and logic to win the day. And discover your true abilities as you face impossible odds. Uh so yeah, I I'm still now Agent Seven and I had talked about in past and probably also on this show on digging up the old TSR books, and we have. Right. And possibly using them for something if we could ever get something like that together. 
but and this is going to be uh i'm still actually looking into those books but it, it, i kind of have not been reading or anything but this is interesting and i'm kind of curious about the how the system's going to play out but we still got a couple of years to um to uh, before we get that so i don't know what you're thinking about this but if anything i mean the, the, it's kind of like a two-stage process that I remember reading in the article where um, the the rule book is going to come out. The, it's a playtest rule book is going to come out Correct. for people to read and comment upon. Right. And you then, kind of you know, do a, play, literal playtesting. Exactly. exactly. Do beta testing and then uh, submit their comments. And then, you know, I'm presuming that you have to submit by a certain date so that they can finalize. Right. And actually, there's another thing that uh, we're going to talk about in a minute uh, that's actually going through the same process. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, I would like to get my hands on it. It, it. You know, I can't say that I am the most first on D&D. I have played back in the day, but, you know, I, I can't say mm-hmm. that I've kept up with any changes. And obviously, this is going to be a, a somewhat new system, but probably right. still somewhat uh, similar to what folks would know. Right. Yeah, they don't want to delve... They, they don't want to... Uh, uh, divert too far away from mm-hmm. from what people are used to, but at the same time they want to simplify to try to bring in as many people as possible. And I think D and D and AD and D have done a good job of simplifying their system a little bit. Mm-hmm. So agreed. In any event, uh, next up, uh, special Loki charm cereal brings mischief to breakfast. This is funny because I saw an ad for this. I was like, is that real? Mm-hmm. So because of the uh, the new Loki show on Disney Plus. Um, it seems that the Prince of Asgard had enough time on his hands to steal Lucky the Leprechaun's iconic cereal to celebrate the MCU's most devilishly likable villain slash hero slash time hopping troublemaker. Lucky Charms is releasing a very special version of the classic cereal starting at 11 a.m. Uh, a few days ago, uh, the same day. Now that Loki debuted on Disney Plus, fans will have a chance to nab a box of Loki Charms. The cereal will go on sale at mischievouslydelicious.com beginning on June 9th. Only 3,500 boxes of Loki Charms will be available to purchase. After that, they'll be gone for good. Um, Except for way over uh, overblown eBay um, <laughs> eBay uh, bids. Right. So yeah, so yeah, it's really just the box. Uh, apparently, it's just the box because the sa- it's the same fro- frosted oats and marshmallows inside. Yeah, it's just like a charms inside. It's just yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you go. Um, Hasbro's Ghostbusters Plasma series gets a glow in the dark upgrade. So June eighth was Ghostbusters Day, and celebrate Hasbro gave uh, was gave its one of its fan favorite toy lines an upgrade. Excuse me. Um, the Ghostbusters Plasma series glow in the dark figures line includes uh, Peter Venkman, Ray Stans, Egon Spengler, and Winston Zedmore, all of whom now feature green ectoplasm accents that glow in the dark, along with beams from their proton pack. And if you're watching the video, you can see the figures and them glowing in or simulated glow in the darks, darknessness, uh, uh, in the show notes. He slimed me. Uh, let's see. The It's going to go on... Let's see. It'll be available for pre-order. So it was available for pre-order starting on June 8th. At, uh, and I, I would imagine still I was out there somewhere. So check your favorite retailers. 
and Hasbro Pulse um, for those if you're so inclined. Next. Next up, Super 7 reveals Silverhawks Ultimate Figure Series 1. I love Silverhawks. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So Super 7 has done Masters of the Universe and Thundercats, and they won't rest until they've revived every major 80s toy line for collectors, apparently. Uh, Following up on an announcement earlier in the year, the San Francisco company finally revealed their first Silverhawks figures. The 7-inch scale Ultimates will be compatible in size with Masters of the Universe Classics and similar lines and include one oversized figure. So the oversized figure is uh, Monstar. Um, and that's going to go at, it's a, it's an 11 inches tall and it goes for $85. The other three figures in the set, Buzzsaw, Quicksilver and Steelheart go for the now standard super seven price of $55. Um, there are, you know, these appear to be entirely original sculpts and nothing seems to be, uh, reused from like masters of the universe stuff. Um, so apparently, uh, yeah, the, the primary appeal of the classic Silverhawks figures was their chrome metallic deco and pop open wings. I remember those. Those are cool. I never got my hands on them. Yeah, um, uh, neither feature proved quite possible for the scale for this version and level of articulation, but the paint will be shiny and arms pop off to interchange with fixed elbow wing arms. They won't come out the same as Gen X kids remember, but may perhaps improve in other areas. Silverhawks figures begin, have begun pre-orders as of June 10th for, for delivery next year. Um, it's tough. I love Silverhawks. I don't know if I love them $55 worth. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and does it come That's with the jet? I mean, the 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 ship. No. Yeah. Not right now. Not right now. These are big figures. This is seven inch. This is like the current DC uh, action figure line. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, these are bigger than Marvel Legends. Right. But also. we go just had to get that there is a ta- i was gonna say there is a tally hawk that comes with um the main character oh the leader yeah that makes sense yeah that makes sense. yeah quicksilver mm-hmm. not to be confused with um mm-hmm. but yeah next up uh suicide squad comes to life thanks to mcfarlane toys so mcfarlane toys is releasing five new figures based on the suicide squad um the movie that is uh, Todd McFarlane shared a first look of the figures on Twitter ahead of August 6th release of the Suicide Squad film. The figures include Margot Robbie's uh, Harley Quinn, Idris Elba's Bloodsport, John Cena's Peacemaker, David uh, Desmotion's Dash, uh, Polka Dot Man, and King Shark. Voiced by Sylvester Stallone on... Uh, According to McFarlane, pre-orders for the figures will become available before the release of the film. When are they going to do a Danny the Street movie? That's what I want to know. Anyway, next up. Next up. um, DC Comics has released the cover art for Action Comics 1034, which emphasizes Mongols' control over Superman's supposed new Kryptonian ally. Uh... 
So this is a, re- a reveal that uh, Superman's new rival is a Kryptonian double agent. Um, the Kryptonian refugee has been given a name in the new solicitation for this issue, her name being Tao La. Okay, so she's vaguely Asian. Uh, okay, yeah, so good luck with that over at uh, anyone reading Action Comics. Yeah, I guess she must be mixed, I guess. I don't know. Um, I have not been reading it, but yeah, like Agent 7 said, good luck to those folks. Uh, Boop. Uh, Green Lantern's Owens are becoming worse than Lord of the Rings' Sauron. So this is spoiler warning for Crime Syndicate number four, which I don't think any of us are reading. Um, nope. So the evil versions of Green Lantern's Owens in Earth 3 are using their rings to control their knights in a similar way of uh, Lord of the Rings Sauron. And they could get worse. But also, Jon Stewart apparently is an Xbox fan, according to it looks like this. Uh, I guess that's the cover. Because <laughs> he has the Xbox logo on his, uh, on his armor, and that's really kind of crazy. But yes, comparisons to Lord of the Rings, uh, um, One Ring, and... Um, uh, the use of the Guardian's rings uh, abound. There we go. Next. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, Dungeons and Dragons returns to Magic the Gathering with a new source book for Magic School. Okay. Um, following the wake of the source book that brought Magic's techno spellpunk realm of Ravnica to the 5th edition, Wizards of the Coast has revealed that two of its most beloved fantasy worlds are crossing over again with Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos based on the recent Magic card set. The book lets players explore the titular university and the different schools of spell singing that slinging that make up its student body. Uh, the release won't hit shelves until much later this year. Eager D&D fans can already get a taste of what's to come in A Curriculum of Chaos with the release of the Mages of Strixhaven Rules through Wizards Testing Ground for new rules and character classes in D&D Unearthed Arcana. Typically, Unearthed Arcana's pilot program for rules and classes usually leads to those rules being adapted into upcoming releases. This is the first time Wizards has specifically revealed a new D&D sourcebook concurrently with releasing sample rules for players to try out. Right, so this okay. is what I was alluding to earlier about uh, playtesting. Um, and yeah, the D, the Dungeons & Dragons ex, uh, expansion for Magic has been something we've known about since... Well, not we, but some of us who follow uh, since last year. And the most recent Strixhaven is kind of going away because of the whole... Speaking of Magic Schools, um, uh, kind of is the, uh, the way into that. And I'm kind of sort of looking forward to this. I'm not sure how it's going to play. Uh, I would. I mean, obviously, it's probably going to work out fine because D and D and Magic are kind of like parallel, parallel streets. I don't know. Um, of some words, someone's going to be like, "No, you're totally wrong." I don't care. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens when this uh, set comes out. I will probably be getting a set of cards. Last but not least, uh, Arcade One Up reveals Simpsons uh, four-player cabinet as a part of its the E3 2021 lineup. Um. So, Arcade went up and announced that the Simpsons four-player cabinet uh, in a four in a press release from what yesterday, uh, two days ago, as of this recording, June 9th, uh, just slightly ahead of the official E3 2021 festivities, uh, with a product page up on Arcade One Up's uh, site. Now, fans can go have a look at what lies in wait. 
Um, the Simpsons cabinet follows one of typical three-fourths scale design, complete with a four-player um, arcade stick board to go on with it. Uh, if one looks at the control board, they might notice the trackball control. Uh, that's because not only is the original 1991 beat-em-up is included for play in this arcade, but so is another bonus game, which will be refused uh, revealed soon. So, Arcade One Up has been doing that stuff. Like, they do... Um, 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 half-scale or three-four-scale cabinets, and they throw, like, a, a couple of other games along with the, the main one that they're featuring. So, like, the, the last one they did was, like, the Turtles one, and the, the, both of the Turtles games was in there, and I think there's a couple other games that are in there just to kind of make it worth worth your while. Because um, I'm pretty sure those things are not cheap. Well, they're relatively not cheap, as from what I've seen. Wouldn't mind having one, but ain't got no space for it. And I will probably get the turtle one, Turtles one over to the Simpsons one anyway. Depending on what they have with it. So that, folks, is that. Uh, we have come to the end of another um, Combo Chronicles. Uh, have you got any talk on or anything? No, no. We've had a long night of uh, technical difficulty, so let's try to wrap this one up. You are not lying. So, yeah. Uh, I have been... Wait, so let me let me shoot a shoot. Oh, we have our last ad read of the night, and oh, we're yeah. in a hurry. Matter of fact, go ahead and do that. I was about to say, when we are in a hurry, guess what we read? Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment. That helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. Uh, shout out to my homegirl Sarayu in, in the chat who just popped in. Yeah, we're 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 leaving uh, for tonight because it's been a long night and we've had issues. But thank you for coming by and thank you for everybody who's come by here, um, whether you've lurked or not, and uh, or. Or whether you're catching this after the fact in audio form, or whether you're catching this video or these videos later, I'm going to have to do something with the video version of this on YouTube because I can't do anything about Twitch, which hopefully should do itself proper, sort of. But you'll still have all of our me being frustrated with OBS about it. Right. That being said, as, as I flip back over to uh, this, um, Lord, what happened to my head? Uh, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. If I can find me at News Nerds Need on Twitter, you can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Uh, 8 underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. PCN underscore Dirt. I should have pictures of them just pop up, but I'm not. That's a lot of work. <laughs> Actually, that's not a lot of work, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, PCN underscore Dirt on PCN underscore Dirt on Twitter. Pop Culture Net on Twitter. Pop Culture Network.com and all those umbrella sites therein. Um, and also, and also maybe possibly bite still. We don't know if he's still doing that or not, but, um, he's still doing that other, maybe still doing that other vine thing under, uh, comic reviews, no files. Tim D O G G nine, eight on Twitter. Uh, the Osiris is ish. You, uh, you can check him out at that. You can also check him out at CB Cron, which is the co which is, I was about to call him Cobra Kai. Why was I about to do that? Cause the cold slither, uh, I mean, not even that the comic book Chronicles Twitter account is late and I'm frazzled. So, and I apologize folks. Anywho, um, CB Cron, 
the Coles, the, 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 the Cumber Chronicles Good Garage Twitter account, where you can find Tim at. Also, you can also find him at The Click Nation on Twitter, which is the K L I Q N A T I O N, all one word. But you can definitely find him over at uh, Comic Resources, where he's over there writing his face off. That's CBR.com. Definitely go over there and check our man's out and um, go click on his stuff and read his stuff. Don't just click on it because he, he does some good stuff over there. And then they're going to be busy coming up with E3 probably. Or busy-ish. Uh, you can find this here podcast on uh, the Coastal the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us on your podcast physical place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal Lizard Podcast uh, pages network, uh, excuse me, um, SoundCloud page. You can find us here every Thursday night, 9.30-ish p.m. Um, on either or both, it doesn't matter to us, uh, youtube.com slash Nation. Or twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles like some folks did tonight where you can catch us live recording. You know, we're trying to get up to 50 on the, the Twitch and I'm uh, on the Twitch page. So if, if y'all could help us out by giving us a follow, we would appreciate it. I don't like to beg. I hate, I hate promotion. But here we are. Um, I think we're also going to be coming to DLive, which is another streaming service. Uh, I still need to set that up. And every time I keep saying that, it's probably going to be closer to happen. That being said, um, this, folks, has been the Comic Book Chronicles. Peace. Peace, one. Oh, my time is up. Peace out to Brooklyn.